Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, David McGuire, Sarah Ashley, and Kevin Satorius. Kevin, what did you see over the weekend? I saw White House Down over the weekend. Yeah, and how oh was it? Oh my god, did you really? Well, I'll tell you. Um, coming from a Roland Emmerich film, you can't expect much depth, character growth, or uh, any sense of like real plot uh, unfolding organically. So I will say that I was quite entertained. Um, in terms of Roland Emmerich's list of films, his repertoire, so to speak, I think this is definitely one of his better ones. Um, I will say that the special effects were top-notch. They were very impressive. It did not look uh, as bad as it did in Olympus Has Fallen in terms of the White House and the set surrounding the area. Like, in Olympus Has Fallen, it, it definitely looked like a set, no question, whenever they were outside. It was painfully obvious. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I really like how Channing Tatum got first billing, more so than Jamie Foxx, because I think his career is really going on a, on a really nice path. Well, I will say, if there's anyone man who understands disaster, it is Roland Emmerich. If you look at his films, Independence Day... The Patriot, 10,000 B.C. Wait, he did The Patriot? Yeah, yeah all disaster. Shut up. Of course, I love The Patriot for just how bad it is. Yeah. What? <laughs> that movie is not bad. Uh, it's pretty terrible, oh, dude. No, it definitely it's, is it's not. It's entertaining, but it's not good. No, no, I um, respectfully disagree. It, scuffs, it, it like laughs at history and then shits on history's face. Like, that's how... Like, that movie, like, takes history and then, like, molds it into its own little thing. Not that I'm complaining, because I enjoy the shit out of it. However, that, it's... Uh, that we're movie, talking, that, are that, we talking from a historical standpoint as from to a, why no, you guys don't like it? From a historical and from a from a movie standpoint. Because I feel like it takes history out, it meets history at a bar, gives it a drink laced with roof and, roof, roof and all, <laughs> a rooflin, <laughs> and just has its way with it. <laughs> And then, and then by not just anyone, it's Mel Gibson who takes history and has its way with it. Again, because he did the same thing in Braveheart. Did you know William Wallace, was, Wallace wasn't actually Scottish? He was Welsh. Really? Yeah. He was black? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they didn't fight in kilts. They, and they didn't fight in kilts. They fought in armor. What? Y- yeah. But it, it ruins the image. <laughs> That's the thing. The image was false to begin with. Yeah, true, true. Um... Hey, I don't know. I'm I, sure that the- I really like The Patriot myself. Uh, history aside, um, I I think it's quite a good movie. Oh no, uh, no doubt. I mean, Jeremy Irons in that movie is a bona fide prick. Uh, you think you're referring to Jason Isaacs, not Jeremy Irons? Yeah, Jeremy Irons oh. is Scar for God's you're sakes. You're right. <laughs> you're right. It was Jason Isaacs. Lucius Malfoy himself. Who was Malfoy a bona fide prick? Yeah, he was an awesome, total prick. It, it, it worked so well. And I'm fairly certain that was the uh, that was America's first introduction to him major introduction like, um, uh, i'm pretty uh, sure that he may have done like one or two small films that had been released in the american hollywood he had, market he had played a lot but a couple of smaller roles i think you're right this was his first role that was very much uh because he was in the the uh the end of the affair oh, crap. Oh, let me look it up real quick sorry 
That's what I'm doing right now. Are you looking it up? Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. while Kevin's looking it up... Jason um, Isaacs. Yeah, he played a, uh, a small part in that. Fairly similar uh, in tone and cadence to... Um, to the character in The Patriot. Oh, shortly after uh, The Patriot, he was in Peter Pan. That's right. He was, about four years later, he was Captain Hook, and one of the best Captain Hooks there's ever been. Mm. Oh, that's a good version. Yeah, it's, well, it's the one that's closest to the to the play in the book, as we've talked about in our previous... Uh, Segments. Episodes, or, yes. Yes. In the episode, An Awfully Big Adventure. Anyway, so, you, you enjoyed the movie, yeah? Yes. You thought it was a, an appropriate way to, to bring in our... History of our independence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday, America. We're going to destroy your famous you, landmarks. I have to ask you, Kevin, if you had to watch a, a movie about the independence of America, are you going to want to watch Independence Day or White House Down? Oh, man. Oh, you're making me choose between two Roland Emmerich films. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, all right, so only because it's so fresh, I'm not going to choose White House Down and choose Independence Day. Um, but mm-hmm. I will say, if you give me, like, until uh, America's birthday, uh, I would probably America? not be able to choose between the two because they're both, in their own right, terribly awesome. Terrible movie, but awesome nonetheless. You know what I would do? I would watch the uh, the six-part John Adams miniseries all over again. Oh. I have not seen that yet. <laughs> Well, I don't have HBO, oh Showtime, God. or all that other stuff. So, yeah, it's on. It's on Netflix. Definitely get it. It's um, one of the best miniseries. Uh, oh, fact, I don't I'm doubt so it. glad you mentioned that, Brian. I, I really, I was going to watch Independence Day because I've always wanted to watch Independence Day in the days that it happened. So, like on July first, watch the, the the stuff that happens on July first. Stop it. Second. Then on July second, and then so on and so forth. Um, but you've actually given me a better idea because uh, John Adams is just exquisite. Wow. It's, it's also one of the most exquisite. historically accurate depictions of the American Revolution. Jeez, well. Dave, I think you're a little bit of a nerd right there. Just a little bit. Why, because I, I said exquisite? No, no, because you're going to watch Independence Day four days and try to make it sequential <laughs> like it is in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like watching a history movie, dude. It actually <laughs> happened. Oh. I want to feel what my ancestors felt back in 1996. <laughs> um, by the way, getting back to Jason Isaacs, get ready for this. Um, oh, wow, I said it again. I, I get in the bad habit ah, of saying that. see, yeah. All right. Hard. So, Jason Isaacs was actually in Dragonheart. He played Lord Felton. He was in the incredibly freaking awful movie Event Horizon that had uh, Lawrence Fishburne and oh, Sam Neill. Oh, that's he was also in Armageddon in 98. That's true. He, he, he played totally an American was. in that. Yeah. Um, oh, no, 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 he wasn't. Jay- he was one of the guys in Mission Jason Control. Jason Isaacs? Yeah. Oh, he's the, guy, he's the guy that makes the joke about uh, uh, Roadrunner. Yeah, he and he like, also... We're going to use more and, powerful rockets than, than the Roadrunner does. Yeah, and he's the guy who actually has the idea to drill the hole into the, uh, the meteor. Yep. And then um, right before The Patriot, he was also, like you said, uh, in The End of the Affair that came out in 1999. Thank you. Thank you very much. Zing. Um, I just remember that house, that stupid boy. Did he die? I just remember that that moment. It was great. <sighs> Ooh. Ooh. Cold, cunning bastard. Totally. I hated him in that movie. But then I, then also I saw him. You know another movie he was in that was uh, really good? Um, or the he was good in? Uh, Sweet November. That was the vehicle with Keanu Reeves and Charlie Theron. Nope. Jason Isaacs was in that. Yeah, he plays her friend, and he and he plays it Scottish, and he plays it very warm, and 
like it was like <laughs> wow that's a totally different character that's it, awesome it, the movie itself oh, doesn't he, ring a bell i haven't i guess i haven't he, seen it then he's um he's actually done really well for me he was actually in a, an american tv show yeah that got canceled unfortunately yeah. this oh, last season called Awake, I, i'm so pissed that it got canceled was, it was so good it was an amazing premise it, so it basically, was basically um, I mean, for those for the audience that doesn't know, Awake is about a cop who gets into a car accident with his wife and kid, and he finds himself living in two different realities, and he can't come to terms with which is real and which is fake. Um, and in one reality, his wife survived, and in the other reality, his son survived. And yet, there are lots of parallels between the two of them. When they when they announced that they were canceling it, I stopped watching because I didn't want to get so invested. So later I found out that there was like this conspiracy to get to him and and things of that sort. So now that it's on Netflix, I want to go back and, of course, watch it all the way through. But um, he was he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was also great. He had a small part in the movie called The Chum Scrubber uh, in a, from about 2000, I would say 2004, 2005. Yeah, Chum Scrub. That's the name of the movie. I'm not making it up. That that's sounds where, like a porno. That's got Glenn Close in it. Lie. It's also got, um, what's his name from Billy Elliot? Jamie Bell, I think? Jamie Bell, oh. yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's the main character in it. And it's all about a kid who, um, he's at a party, and he said, well, where's, where's what's his name? And he goes to find and he finds out his friend has hanged himself in uh, the pool house, and he's the one who finds him. And that just totally effed with him. Totally psychologically screwed him up and the movie talks basically it's almost like bringing up a second 1950s about all these social norms and people hiding what's really going on uh no all the real unhappiness and um at least from the moments i saw i saw about the last i saw like the first five minutes of it and then like the last half hour of it because it was on television and it just kind of i wanted to catch as much of that as i could so if i'm actually missing any of those plot points up please by all means don't correct me because i haven't seen it all yet Yep, there it is. The Chump Scrubber, 2005. Boom. I just put it out there. First time I said, don't correct me. All right? Huh. There. Wow. That's a first. That is a first. <laughs> um, so you would think that after all this uh, talk about the American Revolution and Jason Isaacs, we were going to talk about those, but we're going to talk about mobsters instead, because what could be more American than violence? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, when I think of America, I think of just brutal, brutal violence. I mean, i.e., uh, oh, God, what's the movie? Gangs of New York? Oh, yeah. Anyone? But before we do that, welcome to Nerds on Film, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Kevin Satorius. And I am Dave McGuire. That's right, everybody. I'm back. And Thankfully. And uh, Sarah is out river rafting, or rafting in some manner. She's 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 on a like boat. Drunk. Let's just let's just call she, it what it is. She's on a boat. She's she's probably wasted on a little inner tube. Not sure of which state she's in because there's redwood trees, so she might be confused. Um, we'll probably find her in like twelve days. It's fine. I almost yeah. wish Sean had the ability to uh, auto tune it because we're like, she's on a boat. She's on a boat. <laughs> She's on a boat. She's on a boat. She's on a boat. See, that was the reference I was going for. It's like a good hard look because she's standing on a boat. Okay. (laughs) Hey, we we probably shouldn't dabble in rap because we all suck at it. We are our white is showing so hard right now. Uh, See, back when I actually took several improv classes, I used to freestyle in high school. I wasn't any good, but I at least I was able to get momentum and a rhyme going. Um, But yeah, I've I've been out of the game so far. It's been so long. Don't want to even try. That is why God gave us alcohol. 
This strategy, if guy speaks the truth, shh, don't tell God I said that. <laughs> so, I think Kevin's going through some sort of like theological discovery. You know, you would be, you would yeah, it's called absinthe. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if only we had some absinthe. Woo. Uh, I've never, never had one actually. We'd be having a completely different discussion right now. <laughs> yes, and instead of us doing a podcast, it would probably be us running from a giant ferret. Or just yelling and screaming at each other. <laughs> you guys don't normally run from giant ferrets? I just call that Friday night. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dave, Dave McGuire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Me and my, and my wife later, and I'll be sitting in my trailer making gear. <laughs> oh god well, how so much stupid. alcohol have we drunk and not enough for those of you that could not see after that i did take a swig of beer and it was delish oh was it delish uh by the way Quite. for those who are curious david is skyping in tonight because uh he just couldn't make yeah, it to the cave I, I had a i had a wacky wacky day so uh in order to not miss today's topic which like we said is going to be all american um and a, and a little to, Italian. And a little Italian and uh, a little depressing. <laughs> um, I did want to say that we've got... Let's see. Do we, I'm trying to see if we have any feedback. Uh, oh, yes, we do have one. Um, I think we do. Hang on. Oh, I thought there was one where you scream. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> that was Shaggy apparently. Shaggy and Scooby Doo walking through. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Like, if you want so me to do the Shaggy rendition of Jeopardy music or the uh, Scooby. Okay, we don't have feedback. Never mind. Um so no one loves us. That's okay. But they I, would, do. I do want to celebrate though. We hit before we get in too much in this. We hit 200 followers over the weekend on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, awesome Twihards. Wait a minute, hold on. That's for that's for Twilight, isn't it? Oh, that's a, that's, oh, oh, that's God. a different crowd. Thank and, you, tweeters. And in the past week, we've gotten like seriously like five new likes on our Facebook page. Hey. On film, so that's always a good thing. I like that. Oh, that was so bad. I, re- I retract that completely. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Mm, All right, sure. ladies and gentlemen, like last time, it has been real. Peace. Peace. Is he gone? Okay, yeah. good. Wow, that was awkward as shit. <laughs> and like that, I'm back, bitches. <laughs> what, are you, what are you, a smoking Aww. nightcrawler? Well, Instead of bamf? <laughs> well, I, I mean, sorry, it's, it's hard breathing in those uh, those interdimensional fumes while I'm going from one place if to another. If nightcrawler did that sound of... He would be like far less impressive. Yeah, he'd be like, hello. My <coughs> name is Nightcrawler. I am the amazing Nightcrawler. Watch, I'm about to teleport. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I sneezed. <laughs> wow, we're spiraling out this early. We All are, right. We are, we are out of control. I'm going to bring it back in for a second. We got some feedback from one of our listeners back a couple months ago. And uh, Dave, you actually have the email pulled up. Can you read it for us? Yeah, absolutely. So this is back in April 27th uh, from Christian. 
And Christian, we're, we, we, uh, like we said, we promised we would actually do the episode. And the email goes, hey, guys, when I originally saw Nerds on History my, uh, on my podcast app on my phone, Downcast, I was a little suspicious. I thought it was going to be a bunch of guys with lisps and pocket protectors. Never have I been more wrong. I love your work. And I burned through one podcast after another. And I'm working on work Nerds on Film right now and loving it. Um, he goes on to say he really liked the Mickey Mouse joke with Hitler. <laughs> I know we read this before, but just as a refresher. Um, and then he really enjoyed us. And he says, I love all of your podcasts. And he says, I have a possible nerds on film topic. Why are the Godfather movies called the best movies of all time? And why is Marlon Brando known as the best actor of all time? Thank you for all your awesome work. All of you, Nerdonomy fan forever, Christian. I can answer the Brando question pretty easily, but let's talk. We'll talk about that, I think, through the performance, through his performance in The Godfather. Oh, so. absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, Christian. This is your lucky night because we're finally going to get to your topic. We're Sorry, going to so make long. you an offer you can't refuse. No, I'm an offer we're going to be accepting your wow, offer. Wow, Brian, that was actually really good. Yeah, that was you. me. Yay! Well, I can. I'm good at something. All right, so so we're gonna, so we're, you're telling me we're going to have to have a Brando off. Uh, well, well, I'm gonna, oh. I'm good at Marlon Brando. This was done. On, by the way, this was done on Saturday Night Live years ago with dueling banjos as well as like Peter Boyle and, and somebody else doing <laughs> doing a. Uh, Vito Corleone's. Go ahead. All right. So uh, I was going to say um, my only impersonation for this evening. Uh, I will try Al Pacino and fail miserably, but I, I I'm going to attempt oh, we'll Marlon do, we'll Brando. We'll, we'll do a Vito Corleone. Too. We'll do a Pacino. <laughs> but in terms of segueing into this uh, this topic this evening, I wanted to uh, prep you guys with a little uh, fun history of my own. This is only about three and a half weeks old. I knew it. You had mob connections. You've always, you've always hinted at it. See, Brian, this is why you don't threaten me anymore, now that you know. <laughs> what can this I is say? dangerous I knowledge, up, Brian. I woke up, and there was, um, there was a severed head of a stuffed animal in my bed. Brian, this is the one that you told me how valuable it was to you, how much it meant to you. Yeah, it was, it was my, my bear... My teddy bear from childhood. You that fuck. is the last time you call me a girly man in the Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, sarcastically. You would you call me a girly man? You girly man. Um, <laughs> but yes, getting back to. I feel like you guys need some time alone. So. Good. I'm glad we got that all settled. All right. Well, <laughs> getting back to our topic at hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But yes, getting back to my topic, uh, (laughs) my topic to segue into our main topic, about three weeks ago, um, I went up to the Sonoma Wine Country area and visited a couple wineries. It started with Kendall Jackson, and then uh, the next stop was actually the Francis Ford Coppola Sonoma Winery, and I gotta tell you, it is high class, man. It was so, so nice. He has a pool... That you can just pay like a flat fee and stay there all day. He had this Tommy Bahama style cabana where you could order lunch and snacks and bottle by the or wine by the glass, the carafe, and the bottle if you wanted to. And my favorite part is that he had a teeny tiny little museum of props and uh, memorabilia from his film past. Most importantly. He had his Oscars from The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two that were in a very cool shrine. But most importantly, especially with this evening, was there was none other than Vito Corleone's desk in the little tiny museum. And I got to tell you, you weren't allowed to sit it, sit on the chair. You weren't allowed to uh, tell a guard, uh, like a guard, that you would make them an offer you can't refuse. 
Uh, but I was able to touch it. Just a poke. I poked Vito Corleone's desk, and it was awesome. It was so That's cool. awesome. And it is a huge desk, too. It is like the size of the president's desk in the White House. No shit. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it be was a man. marvelous. Be a man. Um, What's the matter with you? Yeah. Bonsala. Bonsala. Michael. What? Michael, I never wanted this for you. <laughs> Let's stop, jump into our topic. It's um, a segue. So yeah. to, answer, to answer Christian's uh, question about why yeah. do we why is it considered like one of the greatest crime movies one of the best movies of all time and um i think because it is next question <laughs> there you go that's it i think we can actually re- we can wrap it up early guys. tonight guys yep. this is great all right, all right. awesome all we'll right. see you next week thank um, you christian <laughs> so um <laughs> if i was christian and that was true i'd be like fuck you guys <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> okay so well i think it, it, for this movie, it had everything to do with timing. Everything to do with timing. Because you're talking about an era that is post... Um, and really kind of during the decline of the studio system. Not to say they had gone away altogether, but really you're starting to see post-1960s um, a, a higher trend toward independent filmmaking, right? So uh, films became a little edgier. They became a little more looser when it came with... Um, came to what they could get away with because the rating right. system was firmly in place at this point. You right. could you could get away with a lot of stuff and still call it rated R. Um, well, no, 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 no. You could get away with a lot of stuff and still call it PG. Rated R at this point was like solid, this is what you can show, you know, this is what, if your movie has this amount of whatever sure. violence, boobies, you know, v- language, um, this movie will be rated R for sure. Um one of the more recent movies in memory that gets away with a PG rating is, um, I would say, Airplane, even though it was made in the 80s, uh, because oh, there is yeah. a large pair of breasts that appear right in the end of the movie for a solid, like, I don't know, five seconds or something, and then it just goes off screen. Right, because th- that was pre... PG-13 was a was a late 80s concept. Yeah, thanks to Steven Spielberg, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Steven Spielberg was uh, directly <laughs> involved with that rating. Um, that was for... Um, he did that for what? For E.T.? No, no. Um, he was a producer for Gremlins 2, and or he was involved with Gremlins 2 somehow, and because of uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And tangent aside, so be. you have that. You also, I think, I mean, obviously there have been plenty of crime movies b- before that. I mean, James Cagney was his whole career. Uh, same with um, Edward G. Robinson. Humphrey Bogart. Uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart, sure, as well. Um, but this was, I think, the first one that really talked about the mob from an Italian perspective. Um, because I think the movies up to that point, not I think, I know the movies up to that point, had shown the mob, but they had shown the mob um, from writers and directors who were just were not Italian. Oh, and not familiar with the mob either. And what I think this movie and this series really uh, c- like cemented was, like, yes, this is the mob, but this is also the mob as a family. Right, right. And, and like that's, yeah, that it, was the core element that tied this entire franchise together, is that... Sure, they might not be directly related by blood, but they felt and acted that way. Right. You get to see this kind of... And I think everything since then that deals with the mob has played off of that. It is a... Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, it's a very disjointed family, but they are a very loyal family despite their... Absolutely. I mean, it's the the first time that you actually want to sympathize with people who are killing people. You want to sympathize with monsters. And I think that's maybe why... Go ahead. No, it's, just, it's like it's the first time that you're just sitting there and thinking to yourself, like, 
man, I really hope these guys get away with it because they're such a loving family and you want to see that dynamic work and you want to see their family get put together. But really, you know, uh, when you step back and think about it, like they are deplorable people. Like they are doing some really up shit. Yeah, and I think the funny thing is, uh, of the characters who is the most tame, I think it's actually Vito Corleone. Yeah, to be honest, yeah. again, he's the most moral character. I mean, aside from them being the most tame, like he he was very much everything he did had to be justified for some good yeah. reason, right? If you look at all of his actions throughout the whole movie, uh, throughout throughout the whole series, if you count, you know, Godfather Part Two as well. Everything he did was motivated by some need for either justice, for revenge, or for taking care of somebody, right? That was his whole... I, I like the whole feeling of doing favors. Like, the, people would come to him and ask for favors, and that he would uh, he would just do the favors, but then the only thing he would ask in return is that he would have to call on them for something. He never asked for protection money, necessarily. He, ne- he wasn't like right. a lot of the other thugs that were, uh, that were running the cities at that time. They had well, their at hands. that point... Too when he becomes when he's powerful enough to do that. I mean, as they show in the second movie, he he had to do some pretty dirty things in his past. But by the time he become by the time we first see him in uh, the Godfather Part One, you know he's he's kind of he's no longer in that game. Like his, his purpose is no longer to grow and and be powerful. He is powerful. You know he's got political backing. He has protect he has protection from the police. I mean he is. He is kind of on top of the world, looking down on creation, kind of. And um, you know, it, when we first get introduced to him, he he is he he's like a teddy bear. He's like, I've got everything I want. Yeah, you know, and he, it's like he settled it, with it, it, his it, journey. Like he has worked and strived for everything that he's wanted, and he got it. And I think what people That's exactly like, it. And I think what people identify with this movie is in a, or two things. One is that it's a darker side of humanity, um, but it's still a humanity that you can identify with. Which I think is actually its strongest suit, because the moment you can identify with the darker side of humanity, you're less likely to judge it. Um, right. But also, in a weird way, it's actually the opposite side of the American dream, right? Um, he, Vito Corleone worked hard to get to where he was, but he just worked hard doing things that were illegal. But, <laughs> but isn't that the American dream? <laughs> well, maybe in the as, 21st as century, with corporate as, America running everything. Sure. As far as a lot of pop culture is considered, apparently it's about you know uh, how how is it put? Um, get money, fuck bitches, make it rain, do a lot of drugs, you know that whole thing. <laughs> I'm yeah. totally being sarcastic. Totally being sarcastic. I'm not. Well, I, I got a fucking I got an ounce of heroin in my back pocket right now, guy. Wait, <laughs> what? If you are listening to this podcast and you are uh, from I'm the FBI, completely kidding. David can be reached in uh, blank, 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 <laughs> blank Avenue, Sunnyvale, blank, blank. And if you're the nine, blank, blank, blank six. <laughs> and if you're the NSA, you already know that by now. <laughs> yeah, you probably already do. Um, I'm completely kidding, but yeah, I mean that's kind of true, except. I like you know, like your point, Kevin. Where it's like now, it's kind of the same American dream is to just be as successful as you want, um, no matter the cost. Now, no matter the cost. Now it seems to be a little bit more about get successful via being famous. Yeah, you know, and that's through viral videos. Back then, when this movie was supposedly supposed to have taken place, it was by how much power could you have? Yes, yes, and absolutely. How much respect could you have? So the the end the end result's the same. It's just you know now it's changed into. How are you going to get there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. What I find funny is that the movie—I mean, the, the plot—is always about power struggles, right? 
And that's what the whole movie is is the it's what is the the saga to be yeah, honest, pretty much. Yeah. But it's not anything that's new. We're just seeing it from a mob perspective this time. I mean, it's actually very futile when you think about it. Um, that's me getting into my nerds and history hat for a second. But oh, you yeah. know, when you talk about these feudal lords who were it was all about conquering land and having the most power, and then uh, earning the title of king because you had the most land. Um, it it makes total sense. It's just it's they're working within the system that's already there instead of being part of the yeah, system. And they're working in a more modernistic uh, setting rather than you know castles and then thousands of acres of land and farms and things sure. like that. Yeah, this is this is New York's territory that they're fighting for. Well, right. Remember that's the American mob. I I yeah. love how they they also tie in the actual Sicilian mafia. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Where it's the same concept, but it's this one mob boss is just. Mafia bosses, uh, like he basically just owns this whole village. You know, he's got this big villa, you know, that's you know palatial. And Are you talking about uh, Don Ciccio or Don Don Ciccio, yes. Don Tomasino, Ciccio? as well? Because yeah. Don Tomasino was the you know the the more protagonist uh, Sicilian Don, but yes, certainly Don Ciccio as well. Um, the man who murdered Don Vito's mother, right, and exactly. brother, and father, and father. yeah. Um, totally justified in the end of the second movie, by the way. Totally justified. Oh, when, it, oh, when Vito kills him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so by the way, there is a spoilerific um, warning on this. If you have not seen these movies, stop listening now. Take nine hours like off, we did. And yeah, first off, watch. if you've not seen them at this point, please, if you consider yourself a film buff. Or a nerd. If you consider, or a nerd. For the love of Christ, watch these movies. Even if you walk away hating them, how could you? Um, <laughs> you should still have it in your repertoire because this movie gave birth to, like, hey, do you really like Breaking Bad? Godfather influenced that. Oh, hey, yeah. do you like the, you know, I mean, all these movies about political struggles and power struggles within the underbelly of the world? This was the movie that, that you know, helped with that. I'm just going to say, if you don't like the Godfather movies, just um, do me a favor, stop listening to our podcast and take up knitting. That's the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and take a what? Take up knitting. <laughs> then you can you create a podcast called Nerds on a, Knitting. Uh, yeah. you, can, you can crochet us a sweater that has a symbol of a hand with the middle finger up at it as your, as your response. Um, and we will wear that every Christmas. We will. We will as our <laughs> ugly sweater. We'll take our ugly sweater picture with it. Yeah. But um, anyway, so let's 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 dive into this. So right. So Mario Puzo had written the the book originally, and yes, and and co-wrote all the screenplays as well, and co-wrote the screenplays. And it, let's think about it this way, right? So the third one is a complete does not follow the book. It's in a complete fabrication that was created by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola to kind of resemble uh, current events um, or current conspiracy events. Sure. Um, you know, The Godfather, the first movie, followed the book fairly well. And the flashback sequences of Don Vito in uh, Sicily and his rise to power in Little Italy by getting Clemenza and all those guys to kind of start following him, that's a continuation. But all the Nevada stuff, that's all original material. Um, so this is originally was based off of source material yeah, what of, of the book, of the same name. But what I find really, really interesting is because it was the author uh, of the book, it was it, in a way that makes um, this, the second and third ones canonical. Like they're very authoritative because it's the author taking the story in a new direction, right? And expanding it. And right. And the thing I thought was really great about Puzo is because he was both a, a, a novelist and a screenwriter, he understood 
that sometimes things don't adapt directly and you have to add more things, you have to change things here to make it work. Um, so I thought that was really, really good of him um, to do that. And I also appreciate that Coppola, also being of a strong mindset with the writer, they collaborated together and they kind of made it their own. I, I think they were, they fit each other well enough that the the film may not have worked under other circumstances, to be yeah. honest. Um, no. Because I mean, the fact that Coppola was in fact Italian American, um, and he could bring to it the culture, not necessarily the, mo- the mob presence, but he could bring uh, a sense of verisimilitude to to the these characters from who they were, where their backgrounds were from. Um, yeah, and and rightfully so, he brings his whole family into this freaking movie because like his daughter's in it in both the first and third movie. Um, his daughter, uh, Sofia Coppola, of course, who you now know as, as, as the filmmaker and the screenwriter, uh, was Baby Anthony in the baptism scene at the end. And, of course, she played Mary Corleone in the third movie. Um, his sister, Talia Shire, plays Costanzi. She's, she plays Michael's sister throughout all three movies. Huh, that I actually did not know. Wait, yeah. that's, wait that's Francis Ford Coppola's sister? Yep. Wow. Yep. So she played she played Connie? She played Connie, yeah. Um, I mean, the Coppola family is essentially one of the many families of Hollywood royalty because also related to them is Jason Schwartzman, Nicolas Cage um, is a Coppola. Uh, in fact, well, he, Jason Schwartzman? Jason Schwartzman. No way. He's a Coppola, yeah. He's connected uh, somehow to that. And then... Um, I knew about Nick Cage. I knew Nick Cage was connected. Yeah, actually, because his actual his birth name is Coppola. Cage was just his yeah. um, stage name. His stage name. Yeah. Let's do, let's break these movies down in, in chronological or not chronological order, but in in sequential order, right? So you have the first Godfather. Like, so let's take Christian's question and let's just break it down and ask that question to each one. And the first question is, why is the Godfather, the first one, considered one of the best movies of all time? I would say to kind of start off here is that. It is, as we had stated, you know, a story about the underbelly, a story about family, and, and you sympathizing with this family. But really, it's a story about Michael Corleone, and it's mm-hmm. about Michael's rise to power and his reluctance to rise to that power, and how, you know, how every time he feels like he's he's not going to be a part of it, he somehow manages to find himself in a situation where he has to be. A part of that and it's that struggle he has with accepting that up until the very very end of the movie in which you hear someone say you know congratulations don corleone and he shuts the door on Kay, and she realizes what the fuck did i get into and you're totally missing the most probably one of the most important lines of that movie she he's as he's closing the door don't ever talk to me about my business yeah Yeah. well not only that but there's a great line uh, in the, I think somewhere in the or beginning of the second act, uh, where he says, "It's my family, Kay. It's not me." You know, that's such a pivotal line because you see, I mean, it, it does kind of foreshadow that now he is pretty much going to go completely off the deep end. And I think what people love to see when we're talking about the dark side of humanity is we're talking about someone who who f- completely falls morally, who with the best of of intentions. Uh, gets so involved in those intentions that he succumbs to them. Um, not in like, actually, to make a make another parallel, it's actually Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. Same same storyline. It's a guy who means well, and in his uh, relentless quest to do well, he ends up completely becoming the thing he hates. 
Well, if you think about it, right, I mean, like, the only reason Michael really get did I skip you, Kevin? Oh, oh, I, well, if that was Brian's response, then um, I will, I'll, I'll give mine uh, a shorthand because I love talking about okay, this movie. Yeah. Um, for me, what makes The Godfather above all the rest, uh, it, the, like, one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the best movies of all time, is the fact that we are sympathetic with these villains these are the anti-heroes and that strong connection to family and how they realize what's most important in life is family and that business obviously is a close second it i mean it resonates with me because i value family uh the most important in my life as well and at the same time it has literally one of the best story arcs in terms of character development with michael corleone literally beginning, middle, and end, and it's just the depth that this character development goes into, and like, how you think he won't do something, then all of a sudden, boom, on a, turns on a dime, like, it, you don't see multiple elements coming, and it's just, it has such, it has such prowess with this story, in terms of just epic scale of characters of drama of suspense of plot twists and just there's so much going for this movie uh, including like locations vistas scenery there's so much going in this movie that is that makes movies great yeah that is all contained not just in this saga but especially in this first entry and i feel like even though the movie is completely fabricated um it is told with a great level of honesty. Yeah, it too. makes it feel authentic. Yeah, um, everything. Yeah, you're about- almost kind of thinking that it's like this would be like a documentary of sorts. Yeah, yeah. And to answer your, uh, the second part of that question, is why is Marlon Brando considered one of the best actors of all time? I will give you four films to watch, and they're going to be ones you wouldn't normally expect. A couple of them, maybe. Look at Streetcar Named Desire, of course. Okay. Obviously, The Godfather. Superman the movie. Now, of course, knowing me, that's no surprise. Um, what well, I am shocked. <laughs> and his last film, The Score. Whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, don't whoa, watch whoa. The Score. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, no, The Score is totally valid because me, he does play I'm a character he's never played yet. before. But you're missing a, the fifth most important. I want to do the Ghostbusters scene. The Ghostbusters two scene. I'm not finished. <laughs> um, you're you're forgetting a very vital fifth movie. You're, I haven't explained why yet. So can okay, I? Okay, ex- all right. Can please I explain do. Why? All right, because I, I gotta know. I gotta know. Look at his performance in all those movies. First of all, it's consistent throughout. But second, also probably Apocalypse Now. Is that what you were gonna say? Mm-mm. Okay, so look at Apocalypse Now as well. Um, so really, it's like six movies that we need to watch. Yeah. <laughs> We're nerds on film. Six, of course there is. Throughout his whole career, six. Okay, I'm trying to make a serious point. Can I move forward, please? Yes, uh, go. Okay, six totally different performances in every single movie. He did that from the beginning of his career to the end of his career. And while he had his flaws, he was notoriously difficult to work with. He had an act for not reading the script and improvising. His characterizations and his subtlety and his honesty in his performances was second to nobody i think the closest person around today who uh of our generation who can get even close to that is honestly ryan gosling i would agree with you yeah um i would disagree who do you say would be better christian bale no 
Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Christian Bale can be over the top at times. No, no, he can't. Um, I, 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 I will challenge you on this. Well, I mean, it's the goddamn you, Batman I mean, it, for crying it, out loud. It is, it is um, no, after all, opinion, but you know, yeah, that's, yeah, of that's course. okay. No, no, of course. But, um, I'm not saying Brian, you're wrong. Brian, Notice how I'm Brian, not saying Brian, you're wrong. Brian, you should know that uh, opinions in this, in this cave don't actually, if you think your opinion's valid, it's not. Um, just want to warn you that your opinion may be wrong. <laughs> um, uh, what's Especially the, if you're talking about California Adventure. So um, um, yeah. oh, wait, wait. What's what's the term? Uh, I don't know why it's escaping me because I wanted to talk about this with Marlon Brando. But um, a method actor. Thank you. No, he was not a method actor. Yes, he was. Definitely no, he was. A no, actor. no, dude. You're talking to someone with a theater degree. I will define what method acting is. All right, let's hear it. Okay. Meth- wow, that was the most pretentious thing you've ever said. <laughs> Carry on. It was very pedestrian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to make an inside joke on the air. I, I know. I know. Um, Okay, we'll laugh, uh, and I'm sorry to sound so so snarky. Let's about hear it. it but Let's hear it. Method acting was developed by Lee Strasberg uh, in the 1940s, early 1950s, and it um, defined everything about muscle memory and also about emotional substitution. Mm-hmm. Okay, now Strasberg was a brilliant actor. In fact, he's even in the Godfather films. We'll talk about him later. Um, but Brando was actually not a student of Strasberg. He was a student of a, of a contemporary, Stella Adler, mm-hmm. and she is the only artist in North America who studied with Stanislavski directly. And it's very often that people misassociate method acting with Stanislavski. No, st- uh, method acting is in fact uh, Strasberg's interpretation of Stanislavski's theories. Adler, who trained Brando directly, as well as Robert De Niro, by the way, um, as well as Harvey Keitel, too, and numerous others, um, he never talked about substitution. Substitution is when you you can't quite figure out the emotional state of the character, so you substitute your own emotions um, for that moment. But Stanislavski believed quite firmly that when you did that, you brought yourself out of the moment. You were no longer in the moment, you were in your own moment. Therefore, you were not actually in the scene, you were not being present in the character. Mm-hmm. So her method was all about the imagination, and her method was all about trusting your imagination, trusting your instincts, and if you play the moment as it's supposed to be played, you will feel the emotions uh, as, they're, as the character's supposed to be feeling them. So that is why Brando, in and of itself, is not a method actor. He may have studied the, the actor's studio, which is a primary method acting place, briefly. But his primary education, the one that he considers his most influential in his acting work, is actually that in Stella Adler. Hmm. All right. Interesting, uh, interesting you know, quandary. The reason why hmm. people say he's a method actor... Uh, is not the reason, not unlike the reason why they say that uh, Pacino is a method actor or uh, that uh, De Niro is a method actor, because they do lots of work and build the character and do all this little research to think about why characters do things certain ways. That's not method acting. That's just good acting. That's that's doing your research and justifying all of the circumstances with which your character behaves. Um, method acting is talking about. Um, I need to hold a glass of orange juice and drink it because I need to get comfortable with the idea that if I were to hold it and not actually have it be there, that I actually can do it truthfully, because mm-hmm. I'm drawing from my own experiences. That's the primary thing. Okay. The primary difference is, and, I'll, and I'm, if I'm reiterating myself, forgive me, method acting is about not trusting that you can recreate that experience, so you draw off your own experiences uh, on stage. Uh, Adler's method, which is Stanislavski's system, is drawing entirely off your imagination and trusting that your imagination will be able to recreate those circumstances, truthfully. Nerds on history. <laughs> Nerds on acting is what it is. What it is. So um, I'm sorry if I came off as pretentious. I really didn't mean to come off that way. But they are very, very different concepts. All right. So no, then I what understand call- that. But when you start out the conversation with, "Hey, I have a theater degree," it's a little pretentious. Yeah, but I get where you're coming. But uh, I will give it a pass because that was a 
You, you showed your degree there. <laughs> you definitely did. Um, you done dropped the mic, my friend. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Um, all right. So then, if so, would you say that Marlon Brando is the opposite, the exact opposite of a method actor? Because he would get invested in his character. He would spend time shaping who he was to become his character. Like, for example, the most, like the most best, best topical example I could give you. He stuffed cotton balls in his mouth to help create the accent of Vito Corleone for The Godfather. Yeah, he did that as the as the screen test. Yeah, because he had also recently had dental surgery. He actually had a dentist make a mouthpiece for him when he was uh, performing in the role, um, so that he didn't have to worry about the cotton balls. Right, right. Mouth. But but that's my point. Like, yeah. what would you classify Marlon Brando as then if he's not a method actor? Uh, I would just, to, I mean, the same thing. I would qualify De Niro and Pacino and Gosling and. Kevin Spacey and all these, they're actors, actors. Like, they, they truly believe in the craft. Any solid actor, I would include Olivier in that, John Kilgood, uh, Glenn Close, uh, certainly Helen Mirren, um, Johnny Depp, and though some people would criticize his more later work. I, don't, I wouldn't. Um, they are all people who really take the time and craft each and uh, every moment of their character's performance. Daniel Day-Lewis oh, is oh. a method actor, but he is also a good actor in the sense that he... Oh, man, oh, your definition of method actor, and then saying Daniel Day-Lewis, and then saying that he is also an actor's actor, like, I can't comprehend that, because that spiel that you just gave me is pretty much the opposite of because Daniel Day-Lewis. Because it's not black and white, that's why. Um, there's tons of shades of gray. Dan- Daniel Day-Lewis derives his technique from method acting. You can drive your technique from method acting. You can drive your technique from Adler's perspective, this, the system. You can drive your technique from Meisner, from mm-hmm. Uda Hagen, mm-hmm. from this new Suzuki method that, they're, that people are talking about. Um, not uh, a person, not the car. So um, <laughs> I was going to say, wait, people are yeah. trying to be a car. Yeah. So you, <laughs> yeah. So you get in the car, and then you have a moment, and then you then you then you get out of the car and you perform it. So. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Um, well, all right. So then, uh, to get back on topic, then uh, with Marlon Brando, especially in this movie, uh, the by the way, the other movie that I was mentioning is uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Eh. Oh. What? That is an Whoa. eh. That is an eh. I would say Apocalypse I've, Now I've is more in, of an eh because I've seen he's only Rebel in Without one a scene. Cause, and you know, it's it's great. Don't get me wrong. Brando, in my opinion, has never done a role badly. But uh, the reason why I brought up I, those specific elements is because those are so wildly different characters from one another. Um, can, I, can I ask why you think the score is a good movie? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just, I just want to. I will hold off on get, that until we until we do an episode on heist films. Fair enough. Okay. Is, it, is that reasonable? Okay. So, so then, but you you mentioned it as a good as a good way to look at Brando's acting. Is that what I'm? Yes, because he his does performance. play. Yeah, he does play a completely different character in the score that you haven't seen him in before. Exactly, that's what I'm getting at. In a nutshell, it's borderline happy-go-lucky. Marlon Brando, okay. borderline happy-go-lucky. I mean, if you want me to, I can also say The Island of Doctor Moreau instead of the score, which is also a, an eh movie, but again, a great performance on his part later on in life. So, Christian, what we're getting at is Marlon Brando has a great repertoire behind him, and he does not—he is not typecast at all. He is like the exact opposite definition of typecast. Like yeah. he brings his A game every single time. He makes the character his own. He makes the character memorable. In fact, a lot of the movies that he's in are memorable because he's in them. Uh, and with and with yeah. The Godfather, he is one of the signature elements to that movie that make it not only work but make it soar. Yeah, he, he is, and, and he is the pillar say, of that movie. 
And I would say one of the best move, one of the scenes to watch to see just how good he is is the scene where he sits down with the heroin dealer and they're discussing terms and just how fluid and just how comfortable he feels sitting down and you know and having that conversation and, and you see him like you know talking to this heroin dealer and saying like, like you know like oh this is what the terms would be and you can just see in his head you know that this is not the way that he wants to take the family business this is not how he wants to you know do things and yada yada but it's just it's just all very subtle he's right. a very subtle performer in my what favorite, he does yeah my favorite scene in the first godfather is uh, when tom has to tell vito that sonny's dead that scene Ugh. is brilliantly written and brilliantly acted. It's gut wrenching, man. I love it. Why don't you have to come? Is it? I was. I was about to wake you. But you need a drink first. You know. Oh, the yeah. You tell me, my boy. You tell me, my boy is dead. You know. Uh, it was. It was. Um. It was so gut wrenching, and it, yeah. It's just, and I love the moment at the end when, like, he's grieving, but they you know he he takes Tom in. And like you know, embraces him because they're having this moment of sadness together. Because even yeah. though Tom was not a blood brother, you know, he was he treated like a brother. Him, he was treated like yeah. a brother, so he was weeping the loss of his brother as well. Yeah. Um, well, all right. So if you two are going to share your favorite Brando moment, um, I'm going to definitely throw my hat in the ring there. Um, I guess it's uh, cliche. My favorite Brando moment is, of course, when he is in the office of his, uh, you know, his daughter's wedding, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. of course, you have several people from the community come up to him. And he goes, "What do you ask of me this on the day of my daughter's wedding?" And and he goes through the entire spiel. Uh, the guy confessing how much he needs Don Corleone and goes, "I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse." And just and that that's how it ends. Just excellent. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. So good. <laughs> Fucking classic I, um, American cinema right there. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of movies that I could say that are flawless. The Exorcist is one of the movies that I consider oh, yeah. a flawless film. Mm-hmm. To me, The Godfather is a flawless movie because it doesn't rush. It doesn't feel long just for the sake of being long. You know, its its pace and its in its tale in its telling of the story is consistent and it's and it's thoughtful and it's and it's intentional. Right. And, you know, like even when Michael runs on off to Italy after he murders um, Sol- uh, Sol- Solzazo, is that how you say it? Solazzo? Solazzo? Solazzo. And, and, and the police captain, and, right? And the yeah. police captain, um, you know, even that stuff in Italy, like the, the, the fact that he has a chance at redemption in Italy and they just straight up blow up his wife. And it, yeah, like the the rug is pulled underneath him. He is trying it's to just, do good, and it's just like you, your heart breaks with him in that moment. Yeah, and I would argue that that moment is what really clinches his. I'm going to be part of the family. Oh yeah. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, yeah, because now it's personal. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I, I you see, well, actually, I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted on for, for two reasons. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who had said that Michael was never in love with Kay. That he was always in love with the Italian woman. I disagree. And, uh, well, I think that, the the Godfather Part Three proves that theory. Yeah, but go ahead, keep keep going. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I I mean I don't know what you guys felt. I kind of like I felt that he loved them both. I felt his reasons for wanting to marry her when he comes back. Those may have felt false 
like false intentions, but I do feel that at the beginning of the movie, he genuinely loves that girl. And I think he just happens to, to be coming back to the family at a point where, you know, it's just, it's like, he can't just be like, oh, hey guys, I'm back from the war. It's like, oh, hey guys, oh, shit's going down. Okay. I guess I'll help. You know, yeah. because he wants to be a part of the family, and no one really kind of takes him seriously as part of that. And I think um, also, if you want to talk about a brilliant acting performance, um, it goes to be worth noting that Marlon Brando was nominated for the Academy Award for Lead Actor, and Pacino was nominated for Supporting Actor, <laughs> yeah. and they both and boycotted the ceremony. Yeah. Well, but they both support the cere- boycott the ceremonies because they both felt that Pacino deserved leading actor oh, uh, nomination. Well, yeah. no, 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 no. Let's let's be correction there. That Pacino boycotted because he felt he should have been for uh, for primary director or, or main actor. Right. Uh, uh, Brando would boycotted because of the way that they treated Native Americans in film, and when he won. He had a real Native American woman go up and accept the award. That's right. I remember it. watching that. Was that uh, for the Academy? Recap. Was that for The Godfather? I thought that was for another film. That was for The Godfather. Oh, okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. But if you want to talk about brilliant acting, now I'm used to Pacino. We're all used to him being the way he is now, which is very. I'm gonna talk real softly but intensely, and then I'm gonna yell. I'm gonna yell really loud, and then I'm gonna get soft and intense again. You know, and. Uh, this movie was him making a total transformation, and he didn't really yell much at, or at all in the first movie. Um, it wasn't he yelled until a couple the very times end. in the second one as he got more hard-hearted. But um, in all the films, in the first and second one, it's a flawless performance. Um, you see him go from this innocent guy who's just trying to do the right thing to still that, but he's become so hardened because of it. And my favorite moment in actually the uh, one of his, my favorite moments of his acting is actually in the Godfather. Part two, the last scene, because the last scene is the flashback in the 1940s before all this happens. And you have to, and I, I thought at this point we've seen Michael go so dark. How are we going to see him come back? And no, and we he, see a new level. And you you bring it, he bring it right back to that performance of where he was at the beginning. It's just like you are a fucking genius of acting. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, and, and what's sad is to think is that he almost wasn't chosen for that part. You know, I mean, the studio right? didn't want him. No, there are so many things that... W- w- I think this movie would have been made, but it would have been a very different movie otherwise. Can it would have been off, piss absolutely. poor, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can I list off the numerous actors who almost became Vito Corleone? Oh, please. Ernest Borgnine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Edward G. Robinson. Uh, Orson Welles. Ooh. Orson Welles actually may have worked. Um, Pretty well. Richard Conti. Anthony Quinn. Um, George C. Scott. No, that definitely wouldn't have worked. <laughs> that would not have. That's like, that's like a slap in the face of all of the Italian Americans. It's like, <laughs> by the way, that's, here's the most American of Americans to play an Italian American. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> um, Burt Lancaster wanted the role, but it was never considered. Um, now here's the funny thing: when it, who, who it came down to, um, the Paramount people wanted either Marlon Brando or Laurence Olivier. Oh, I heard about that, yeah. What? And, and they thought that the only... They asked, well, who could play Italian-American um, really, really well? By the way, Brando is not Italian at all. His last name, Brando, with, with an O, is actually not his real spelling. His real spelling is more of a French spelling. It's Brando with uh, A-U-X at the end of it. Um, so... Brando. Yeah, so he's, um, he's not Italian. But they asked, which actors could play Italian convincingly, based on their, their previous backgrounds? 
was either Olivier or Brando because there's strong um, background or strong reputations with building really, really strong. I keep saying strong uh, to be really solid three dimensional characters. Well, what about strong three dimensional characters? <laughs> um, he also apparently apparently also Frank Sinatra, despite his distaste for the novel, and he wasn't really a fan of the film. Well, he's being also made, in the mob. He, he actually talked. He did talk about playing Peter <laughs> Corleone. That's that's <laughs> so Frankie. We know that you have some uh, that you have some ties to this. No, I don't. How dare you have those insinuations? <laughs> what I thought was really funny is actually the mob tried to also stop this movie from being made, and they called themselves, they made a political political action committee, and they called themselves the um, the Italian American Civil Rights League. Packle? Uh, yeah, there was a real there was a real crime boss <laughs> oh, I'm named sorry, Joe not Packle. Italian Americans. <laughs> there is a um, the real life mob boss Joe Colombo um, made this organization up, and. Uh, like, basically, the only way that they could get the film to get made is they are actually putting in lots of mafia people as uh, extras in the movie. So there's actually some real mobsters <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> hey, hey, did I tell you, ever tell you about the guy that I worked on the set of the thing of the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They they got it on the film, but nobody ever charged me. They so, just thought the guy that passed out. Yeah, so you want, you want to talk about real... Um, <laughs> Authenticity. Um, it's not that voice. But, no, I, I figured as much. <laughs> um, but it would be. But it would be definitely the the world that Coppola helped and Puzo helped create on on screen there. And I'm just going to put this out there because I can foresee myself doing that accent over and over again. Italian American community. I am not impersonating you. You are a wonderful, cheerful, and boisterous community. I'm just impersonating the mafia side of that community. <laughs> So hang on. So you're saying, hang on. I'm not. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just making fun of the worst of your kind. <laughs> because what are we? Like, I mean, we're Americans. That's what we tend to do, right? That's good. <laughs> guys, guys, guys. I, I'm. I'm not making fun of you. I think you guys are wonderful. But you're. But you're scum. Those guys are fair game. You're, you're, right? you're, we okay? You're, what is it? Your chum bucket? Your chum scrubbers? Your chum buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Your bottom of the barrel type of people. I, I don't know how I feel right now. This is hilarious, but I'm also a little offended. It's okay. So you guys can find. Um, so you mobsters can find the the nerd cave at uh, blank 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 blank. You can send your severed horse heads to Kevin Satorius <laughs> at blank blank blank. But actually, you know, what? I will I will welcome that. I will add it to my other stash of yeah. other severed heads or that I've it, collected or, over the years. Or what is it? Also, you could just send him a fish wrapped in a bulletproof vest, which is well, the bulletproof vest was um, was was Luco Brasi's, and the fish was just a message because right. you'll be swimming with the fish. So, by the way, Luco Brasi's murder, one of the most amazing brutal, murders, one of the most brutal, <laughs> one of the most brutal murders I think on film. I mean, this movie, this whole saga. Has some of the most brutal murders on screen. For me personally, when I see violence, I don't really. I'm not a big fan of violence. I'll be honest. I think it's it has its place. I'm not saying it shouldn't be there. I'm not like some ultra right wing purist. Obviously, yeah. From, I mean, from Brian, you obviously loved it when Superman fell into that building and all the you know debris fell and killed over 129,000 people. That was okay for you. Um, but for me, watching someone. Um, <laughs> See what I did? See, yes, yeah, I just did it. <laughs> Moving on. Um, but um, two things that that I can't really, I don't do well seeing on film: slitting of wrists and uh, asphyxiation of any kind, oh, man. Uh, particularly, particularly strangling. And this movie has plenty of both. 
Um, oh, yeah. Especially the strangling man. Yeah, Jesus most, more Christ. strangling than anything. But um, it's Sorry. just it 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 it's one of those things where I, I cringe and I almost have to turn away. Um, and okay. it's it and this movie oh, again. And Luca Brasi sells it too. Yeah, he, he totally sells it. Um, Dude, I I legitimately thought his eyes were going to pop out. No kidding. <laughs> um, and oh, the fucked up man. and the fucked up thing that they they knife his hand to the table so he can't move, so he can't find himself free. Um, it was just like so, and that one, and that the bartender is like looking him in the eye as they're strangling him, and he's digging the knife in. It is, when, again, it's portrayed with such honesty, but also, like I, I was genuinely scared watching that among many other moments. Um, that and also when when they kill um, when they kill Carlo? his brother in law. What's his name? Carlo. Carlo, thank yeah. you. When they kill Carlo at the end. Oh, uh, that's same such, situation. A, such a beautiful shot, man. When they had the the camera just like on the car and like his foot like comes right through the windshield and nearly kicks the camera. It's a great shot. It's still just it's a, a horrifying a scene. Check. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean that's the point, right? The point about film is not is to create moments that you believe are real and they make you feel some sort of emotional response. And this movie does that perfectly. And to be yeah. fair, Carlo kind of deserved it. Luco Brasi not so much. Luco Brasi was just a message. No, exactly, but Carlo treated Connie like shit. And it's not personal. He, he it's had just he kinda, business. Exactly. He had it. Um, and he, and he fucking authorized the hit on 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 Sunny man. Right. Yeah. Totally. And also um, Abe Vigoda. Right. Abe Vigoda, one of the oh, best supporting characters God. in that movie. Actors in that That's movie. That's one of the best lines when he looks at Tom and he goes, "Look, tell Mike it was nothing personal. It was only business." And it's just like that straight face. Like I know what's going to happen to me, and I just want just tell Mikey that this is how it was. And I appreciate that they didn't show his death because it was almost like it was an honorable killing. You know, it yeah. was it was just business, right? All the what the thing I thought was really interesting is all the killings that are personal are brutal. Are, are brutal and shown. All the killings that are business are told are shot from a distance. And another brilliant thing that I noticed, if you notice really closely in the first movie, Michael does not wear a hat until he joins the family business. If you watch that movie again, it's a very subtle thing, but he does not wear a fedora until he accepts his place. Yeah, he doesn't wear the, the typical mob fedora until he accepts his place in that family and as one of the... The circle is now complete. Exactly. You, know, you exactly. guys earlier had said that uh, Michael's turning point was when his Italian wife was murdered. I would have to disagree and say that his turning point is, is when, when he... Killed. he is when he offs the two guys because that's when you really see him because he says it's business but it, it, it's partly business partly personal yeah well uh, and it, it, it always is even though they say it's business not personal there's always right. always even a tiny sliver of personal so let's let, let's let's migrate into the second movie right so we know at the end of the first one Michael Corleone does an amazing offing of all the heads of the five families to yeah. really show that the Corleones are not a, a force to be fucked with. And they are here to stay. And a brilliant intercutting of him reciting oh, the, the rights re- to the church. Oh, um, yeah, and renouncing Satan and all of his bad deeds. And it's like, mm-hmm. as soon as it goes like, do you renounce all of his deeds? Boom! <laughs> yeah, oh. Mo Green gets shot in the fucking face. Oh. Unbelievable. Um, by the way, one other final comment on this, too. Brilliant makeup. In this in this film, not just with Brando's tr- uh, transformation into Vito Corleone, but something so simple, the broken jaw makeup on yeah. Al Pacino's face looks so convincing. convincing. Um, 
uh, right yeah. after it happens. It's like I, I was blown away at how good the makeup was in this movie and how real it looked and how subtle it was. Yeah, um, it was good point. Good point, Brian. I wouldn't have thought to brought that up. Yeah, it was his um, his makeup looked great. Yeah, absolutely um, great. So yes, uh, like Dave was saying, uh, if we can immigrate, uh, immigrate, immigrate, immigrate Migrate. to the second yeah. one, because technically. Don Corleone, or Vito Corleone, was an immigrant that comes to America. Hey, Vito Andolini, right? Yeah, Andolini. Andolini. Vito Andolini from Corleone. Vito Andolini from Corleone. Vito Corleone. Vito Corleone. Um, Um, By the way, um, for those that are movie nerds out there, there's this lovely, lovely movie called Analyze This with Robert De Niro and uh, Billy Crystal. Yes. And uh, yeah. there's a moment in the movie where Robert De Niro's character, who's a mobster, uh, has this uh, this dream, this vision, where he is recreating a scene from The Godfather. Not The, not the Godfather Part 2, Godfather Part 1. And then Billy Crystal, his therapist, makes a joke about, well, who are you playing? And he mentions like some offbeat character, and he goes, and Billy Crystal goes, really? I, I see you that. And he goes, no, no, no. I see myself as Vito Corleone. And the movie goes on. And and uh, <laughs> I, I, I fucking love that moment of the movie. And so getting back to uh, Godfather Part Two, holy cow. Uh, when, when I like talking about story arcs, I really love depth, development, and literally a beginning, middle, and end. And wow. And Robert De Niro playing Vito Corleone was almost as good as Robert as, uh, Marlon Brando playing Vito Corleone. And he even got the voice down, too. He, he did. Made, he got the voice. He, he even perfect. jutted out his jaw just a little bit, just right. like Marlon Brando does it's in exactly the first like, Godfather. Is there anything I can do for you? You know? And he did it just like that. It was great. Oh, so good. Um, he, um, he actually, in preparation for the role I was reading, uh, lived, like, moved to Sicily, Italy, and lived there for a while, for a couple months. To, no to get into uh, oh yeah just like when he did Taxi Driver he, he was a taxi driver in New York for like three months or four months yeah. too I mean huh. he's, he's that, that is some dedication to the yeah, craft yeah dude yeah absolutely um, no question and what a hell of a performance this guy mm. gives because mm. he doesn't even speak English for most of the movie he says maybe ten words of English in the entire film um, and you know everything is expression and everything is through subtitles with him and he he sells the fuck out of that role. Oh, he certainly. First does. time um, in cinema. First time in cinema history that um, two people were nominated and won for yeah. the same role. And I would also argue it's the only time where a sequel um, has also won for the uh, for the best picture best from its picture. predecessor, and rightfully so because back to our second episode of Nerds on Film with an unnecessary sequels, we talked about. How the Godfather Part Two is one is a worthy sequel. It is one Completely. of the only sequels, one of the rare sequels that actually is better than the first. Yeah, one. agreed. Um, I think, it, yeah, because I think what we like about it is the fact that you get to see it. They did a wonderful job doing the parallel stories of both of these men's rise to power, right? So we see we see Michael become the Godfather in the first one, but this is exactly his rise to power. And you see it with uh, Don Corley or Don Vito's rise to power, exactly. and how each exactly. man got to where they were, and how they are not honorable men. No, uh, they, no. Are, they are just like deplorable, deplorable men. But each in their own right, you kind of go, you know what? Even though it was a fucked up thing that you just did, I, I respect kind of that. agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I love how the movie manages to be both a prequel and a <clears throat> sequel at the same time. And it works. Yeah, the yeah, editing and pacing so totally works. And I gotta say, for me watching the movie, 
um, every time we cut back to 1900s New York, early 1900s New York, I was much more... I actually found the Vito backstory much more interesting, much more oh, colorful. Yeah. You're not because, alone. Because we got that, yeah, we get Michael's going on this further path toward destruction, the, self-destruction, the morally side, yeah. destruction, uh, family destruction, all these things. Um, but to see how Vito got to be the way he was and all he was trying to do, his through line was so clear. He's just a man who's trying to do right by his family. Yeah. He's just a man who's trying to help the, the people he cares about around him. That's all he's trying to do. But he's so relentless in his abil- in his willingness to do unspeakable acts to get there. Yeah. And to... And I, I think his killing of Don Fanucci, the famous, the famed man in the white suit with the dark, you know, long coat, is is two things. Yes, it's him standing up for who he, what he believes is right, even though he uses a very dark, um, very wrong means of, of of doing it. But it's also, I think, it was prep. I think it was his first way of of seeing. He saw Don Fanucci, and he immediately saw Don Ciccio. You know, the guy who killed his family back in Sicily. Yeah. And he saw it as his chance to, first off, see if he could kill somebody as big as Don Fanucci. But it was also his prep work, right? It was because of that that he was able to get to enough reputation that he would get an audience with Don Ciccio and therefore get close enough to yeah. get his revenge. Yeah. You know? It was so, it was like it was some brilliantly laid out plan from the beginning. Yeah. No, no. The, Go, go ahead, Kevin. No, oh, I was I was going to jump into a different part of the story, but I, if you're going to continue, please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the, the second movie is just one very well laid out chess game. Totally. And, oh my god, and, that's a great analogy. And wow. it's just just a lot of well placed moves, and specifically on on Vito's part on on his rise to power, and it's just really fascinating to watch. Just really, really fascinating. Um, to kind of like jump ahead into the third uh, with echoes from the second. Um, during the parade scene in The Godfather Part Two, where Vito mm-hmm. Corleone is on the prowl. Now, which who was it at the end that he does kill? He kills Don Fanucci. See, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. Okay, so like literally the pacing of that entire sequence, the editing, and even like the background music and everything was just so perfectly like down to the minutest details so well choreographed that you are like getting closer and closer to the edge of your seat gripping you know the hand rest next to you and it's like (laughs) and then the moment comes where he wraps the towel around his gun and just bang and you're like whoa i just realized how much i didn't even notice it until just now but the device that processions are serving these these films processions are your 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 um, precursor to some sort of like major tragedy, right, yeah. uh, or some sort of major plot point, because there's the procession in in, in two when you have that kills uh, his brother, that kills his, that kills. No, well, there's the, well, yes, there's that one. There's the procession in the second one that kills Fanucci. There's the procession in the beginning that kills Joe Zaza, and there's the procession that's mocked in the opera that leads up to Mary's death. Well, there's also another procession, um, another Whoa. parade. In uh, Godfather Part Three, that I was trying to make the echoes with. Um, now, what's his name? Of course, the name um, is blanking on. But um, Andy Garcia plays a character in The Godfather Part Three, and in order to prove his worth to Michael Corleone, uh, he takes out uh, what's his name, Joe Mantegna, who is yeah, the Joe boy- Zaza. Yeah. Joe Zaza, yeah. And um, that whole sequence is like an homage to what Vito did. Yeah. Uh, in Godfather Part Two, and there are a lot of clever bits in it where you're like, uh, uh. 
Oh, Francis, I see what you did there. Yeah, it's but it's great. not nearly as good. <laughs> yeah, everything is just a callback upon callback upon callback in these films. But rightfully so, though, because it shows, it tries to really drive the theme. Uh, the themes, you know, home, corruption, impending death, and, mortality, redemption, all and, those things. And, and like, like, I know you and Eric, on nerds on history, have said this several times, but history repeats itself. Right, if you don't learn from it. Exactly. exactly. And so um, I think even though it was not necessarily done on the nose with Godfather Part 3, but it was done in a way where you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It yeah. just shows like what Andy Garcia's character, whose name is uh, Vincent Mancini, is going to set himself up for in the future. Right, who we find out is the illegitimate son of Sonny Corleone. Yeah. yeah. So, um, real quick, real quick, real quick question: Is he the kid of the bridesmaid that Sonny banged yep. in yep. the first one? Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. There, that, there you have it. Um, what I also think. Hang on, I just had it. I lost it. Now let me find it again. Hang on. Well, all right. So then, uh, while you're thinking of that thought, um, one of my Oh, I found it. Oh, okay, fine. To make a comment on on all um, three films for a second, each movie had a really strong supporting performance by a very small actor uh, as far as uh, career-wise. The first one had Abe Vigoda, right? The second one had Lee Strasberg as Hyman Roth. The third one had Eli Wallach as Don... Yeah, right? All three great performances um, by men who had you know i mean just extraordinary actors extraordinary yeah. actors I just want to make that little note for quick it's not really germane to the argument at the moment but i just wanted to throw it out there um well what i was getting back to is um i am uh, in terms of our last episode uh kids what was our awesome title kids approved mothers disapproved kid tested, kid tested mothers disapproved, disapproved. yeah um I have a massive fucking collection of orchestral movie soundtracks, mostly because I played in the orchestra for eight years and I played the bass. Um, And so I have that, like, really strong connection to orchestral music. And getting to the Godfather saga has literally one of the most iconic, recognizable, and best themes that carries through the entire three movies. And it's fucking chilling as shit, man. Yeah. And how how they... Because it's not presumptuous. Like, it's just... It's a. It's just the trumpet or trombone, just the solo one, and then it gets into like with the mandolins, the violins. Oh yeah. And it's just. It's a very, very subtle, very unassuming solo to start, and then it starts like building in the family of orchestra. Yeah. You know, reinforcing that theme of family that and, the saga um, has. And the I, movie. I love. I love how it enters in. Every movie kind of starts with some major family event taking place, right? The first movie starts with uh, the. the uh, Connie's wedding. The second movie starts with Anthony's uh, first communion. The third movie starts with the papal blessing that um, Michael Corleone gets, uh, which is a lesser, far far lesser event, even though it's from the Pope. But um, <laughs> what I found really great is that they it's, it, Brian, it's just the Pope. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. Um, Put him on hold, please. What what I thought was really clever is that they work it in as a song at the wedding, as like a slow dance, and then they work it in throughout. Throughout the whole film, they find different ways of of introducing it in different ways. Like you yeah. said, like in Sicily, it's not with the trombone, it's with the mandolins. Trombones and the mandolins, right. yeah. And then Michael brings it, or not Michael, um, Anthony brings it back up in the third movie when he sings it with the mandolin, with the actual lyrics yeah. um, that came from Corleone, from the actual you know, place of their ancestry. Exactly. Uh, so beautifully sung, too, and so... It, when you hear the lyrics with it, it becomes a total. Even though you don't understand what they're what they're saying, because they don't subtitle it, it adds so much more color. It uh, does. To it. Can, it really does. Can we and, also and, talk about 
um, the use of subtitles and how they chose to use it in some occasions and how they didn't and how much more powerful it was when they didn't. I.e., when Michael has this conversation with uh, Solzalzo, oh god damn it, so the guy he offs in the first one, um, yes. they, he goes, "I'm going to talk to Michael in Italian," and they choose not to subtitle it, and which was which I thought was a brilliant choice because you're not because it it doesn't cater or doesn't pander to to audiences. It doesn't say like, right. "Oh, we have to tell you everything that's going on." It relies that the audience. Is going to be able to figure out what's going on based on body, you know, body, uh, yeah. body posture and, and facial expressions, and right. and certain just, cognates that you can kind of pick, pick up. Right, on. yeah, like, and that's what I think is missing in today's cinema is that is that, that ability subtlety. to have the exactly because now it's like, oh, let's hit you over the head with exactly what we're trying to say all the time. And whereas this so that movie, we, it, we it, verbally blunt just, hit you to death, you so that the way face. there's no misconception of what's Grr. going on and no room for open interpretation, nothing whatsoever. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, we had that in the eighties too, didn't we? I mean, we didn't have as much of it, but we had we had. We know. But what I'm saying is that is that it is that movies have lost that, and I think that's what we need to bring back is that that subtlety because that subtlety, you know, it, it helps the audience not feel you know like they're being force fed this movie. You know, I mean, the last couple movies I've seen, that I felt like there was a lot of force feeding of stuff. Not in all of them, but in some of them. And I felt like with going back to this, this this relied on the fact that it it, it knew that its audience was smart and it knew that its audience had a pulse and right. was able to figure out what was going on. <laughs> I mean, as long as you have a pulse and you can get at least read body language, you should be fine. Right. Like, right. I feel like in today's audiences, unless there's subtitles, people are going to be like, ah, different languages. I, I, I agree, and I, and I think that's why some people didn't like the third movie as much. So, um, really quickly, can we, can we like, in five bullet points, sum up what happens in the second movie? Where, where, where are all the main actions? All right. Well, all right, so to start, you have eight years after the events of The Godfather, and right. Michael Corleone fully assuming his role as the Don. Yeah, exactly. Fully. Like, he's taking his power... His um, his influence and his family's and his mob's money and is trying to buy up uh, several places across the country, especially casinos in Nevada, to get a, a revenue stream, so to speak. Yeah, he's increasing his power um, to its full fullest potential, and he's still trying to legitimize the company, right? So legitimize, right. air quotes, legitimate. Yes, yeah. Well, no, he does, That's his whole. Through line is he's trying to make the company, the, the family, legitimate, right? Yeah. Throughout the whole Legitimize. series. Legitimize. Thank you. Yes. Um, make it make the Corleone name a legitimate business name. Um, so what happens is there's an assassination attempt on his life the night of his son's first communion. So they're at their house in Tahoe. There's an attempt on his life. And so the whole movie is about him trying to figure out who it was and get revenge on it. Uh, in the meantime, he ends up going to Havana, Miami, all across the world while he leaves... His you know, pseudo brother Tom in charge, basically, of the family in Nevada, while he goes and finds out these people, and he he brings it down to three people. It's either Frankie, his uh, like I think his distant uncle or cousin, mm-hmm. yeah, um, f- back in New York, um, Hyman Roth, an old business associate from Miami, uh, or living in Havana, and then finally, um, he thinks it might, might have been his brother too. It might have been his older brother Fredo. Yeah. Um, so that's three. Now, yeah. Dave, the last two, bring it home. Right, so the last two, oh gosh, let's see. Um, it's been a while because I wasn't able to finish watching it by the time uh, we, we, we were. I know I've seen it before, but it was a long time ago. Um, so 
we're watching Don Don Vito in the in the backstory get his rise to power and get his vengeance on Don uh, Ciccio or Ciccio. Uh, um, Don Ciccio, yeah. Don Ciccio, who had murdered his mother, um, at, only after he uh, kills the Don in New York. Um, and by him doing that, he kind of feels full circle and he's kind of gained his power. Michael, um, being this paranoid individual, um, basically off, offs everybody and including his brother Fredo. At the very um, end, he, yeah. At the very, very end, he has uh, a friend of theirs or the guy who's going to do it, take him out into the boat in Lake Tahoe for a fishing trip. Uh, a trip. And um, from a very long shot, you never see the actual bullet hit his head. You just watch the silhouettes, um, and you see Fredo eat it. Yeah. And in, in like literally the last, the last scene you see is just Michael contemplating everything. And really, if you think about it, if you want to like really interpret it, contemplating you know his life and the fact that I don't think he wanted to be here, but now he is, and he's kind of stuck. Yeah. He has to live situation. with the choices that he made. It's no, like that yeah. look of regret. Right. And 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 the cost the price he paid, right? Cuz by the end of the movie Kay has left him and taken even though he has his oh, children. She um, straight up had an abortion and that's one of my favorite scenes. It's a wonderful scene. Now, I saw cinema. when I watched the three films over the weekend, I saw the Coppola restoration, which was also the director's cut. Now, I don't know if the second movie ends this way, but I know there's that zoom in, that dolly in on um on Michael and then he gets older. That's the version I saw. He gets older even within the close-up. Is that? Did anyone else? Is that in the other versions of the movie? Uh, now, which film be. did you see this? Dolly? This is the this is the end of the second film. I think that was actually in the theatrical cut. Was it because yeah. the, the makeup in that was brilliant too? Because it actually doesn't look too far removed from the way he looked in the third movie. Right. Um, right. So um, anyway, you're right. Yeah. I mean, he he essentially he gains all of his power. He destroys all his enemies he even thwarts the federal government from indicting him on uh you know charges racketeering of, of racketeering and, and uh, being a mob extortion boss. And, exactly yeah. murder oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah murder that that yeah, <laughs> that little thing um, nah, that's nothing guys and then but look at what he's lost he's lost his his real brother tom because he's now been asked to leave the family for his own protection um he's lost his real brother uh fredo fredo because he, he has him murdered him. Um, he finally gains back the respect of his Well, what about his brother sister. from first movie? Sonny? Sonny, Sonny yeah. Well, he lost Sonny, but Sonny was It was Carlo. of his own volition, but he still lost him. Yes, he lost him. I mean, in his own quest, his own actions oh, okay. made right. him lose. He gained back Connie, who we find out in the third film is just as evil as the rest She's of them. She's fucking nutso in the third movie. I mean, if you want to talk about there's a god, I mean, not to say there would be a godmother, but if you want to talk about the mistress of the family, the matriarch of the family, she becomes the matriarch after oh, yeah. uh, Mama Corleone dies. And I'm not going to um, lie, it's a little bit of a character change that I don't like because it's just so... Like, she's misguided in the second one because she's like, oh, I don't care about my kids and I want to marry this other guy and yada yada and I'm all broke. But I just, I just think that she's depressed and she's just kind of... You yeah. know, but, just because of all the actions that she's gone through, I never would have thought that she would have just like, you know, just gone straight up like, oh yeah, just fucking yeah. kill him, man. But you know what? So believable though. Talia Shire brought it home in all three movies. She was so great in all three yeah, films. Absolutely. You know, and if you're used to her just being Adrian from the Rocky films, man, watch this movie because she makes a total arc. You know, that's Adrian. Yeah, that's Adrian. Adrian. What? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, Adrian. yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, 
So, I mean, wonderful film. The longest of the series at three hours and 22 minutes. Yeah. Uh, if Number you own two, a DVD yeah. player, it's on two discs. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, mine was only on one. No, no, wait, I wait, back wait, up, the, Kevin. I, I have the DVD version myself, and that is two discs. Yeah, that yeah. is definitely two discs. I have a DVD I, that's only one disc. Well, do you have Blu-ray? Oh, are you sure it wasn't Blu-ray? I'm positive. Okay, because I got like um, I was borrowing very nicely from uh, Sarah and uh, Sarah's friend um, the Godfather uh, trilogy the, when it was first released on DVD with like the the fourth disc or fifth disc that had like yeah. hours of special features. Yeah, and the Godfather Me Part Two is definitely two disc. Yeah, well, there, there was yeah. a fourth disc that was all the special features. Um, this one was the Coppola restoration, like I said. Oh, okay, the recent one. The yeah. recent one. So it was it was remastered for W five point one, which was awesome. Um, but also, I think the compression of the video was done in a way where it could fit onto one disc for okay, one right. dual-layer disc and for each Real quickly, each before film. we really move on to the third one and kind of talk about that, um, there, I, wanna, I want to make a plea to all of those who love The Godfather. Um, everybody, please write Francis Ford Coppola and ask him to finally get Warner Brothers to put the Paramount. The Godfather so- or Sorry, Paramount. I don't know why I keep saying Warner Brothers. Um, to ask Paramount to put the Godfather saga... Onto DVD now. The Godfather Saga was a movie made-for-TV movie that combined ep- uh, parts one and two together, but put into chronological order and new scenes added to it. And the reason why he did the Godfather Saga was because um, he was trying to finance Apocalypse Now, and he needed a little extra money, and so he felt like this would be the way for him to do that. So. There is a version of The Godfather that starts off with Don Vito Corleone uh, in Sicily, Italy as a kid and ends with, uh, you know, Michael in Nevada. So it's it's chronological. It's only been seen on TV. I've tried – because my mother is a huge Godfather fan and I've tried to look for a version of this on DVD. They only have it on Laserdisc and they will play it occasionally on TV. So – you know, if you're a fan, please unite and let's write him so we can try to get that to be on something actually palatable. Yeah. Oh, and then uh, Dave, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you in your cause because it's a cause I believe in. But the next time <laughs> that I'm at a Coppola winery, I'm gonna work my damnedest to see if he's actually there and be going up to him like, Francis Godfather, I believe in you. I believe in your theater. I believe in your movies. Please, for the love of God. Can you let me know when you're going to do that, by the way, so we can go together and we can have some we, amazing red wine and, like... Absolutely. It's all up to my folks because they are the wine club members and the wine aficionados. Yeah. Mr. Coppola, you make a damn good wine as well as... You good, do. Damn good movies. Damn right. Thank you yes. for saying by that. By the way, why aren't we drinking Coppola wine with no this discussion? Sh- I know. I feel so stupid that I couldn't... couldn't I mean, get for crying out loud, on Friday, I, bought, I went out and bought <clears throat> a... Cabernet Sauvignon uh, from Safeway, a Coppola Sauvignon, and then had pasta to watch The Godfather Part 3. I had probably the most impromptu Italian meal that I could think of. Bread, pasta, and wine while watching The Godfather Part 3. There you go. Well, um, well, you know, so uh, what I think is really interesting about these films is, I mean, you're right, it's all centered on Michael and Michael's moral dilemmas, right? And, I, and it's so fitting that they end the second movie on his rethinking of his life and living with his decisions because the third movie finds uh, uh, Michael Corleone that we haven't seen before. 20 years in the future, the peak of his power, but also remorseful. He's actually guilty of what he's done and he's trying to make amends. You know, yeah. I mean, the whole papal blessing thing, uh, his wife, his, or his ex-wife at this point, scoffs at, 
at the beginning saying it was a shameful ceremony, but... Yeah, damn, like right, a real slap in right, the face moment, but too. But he does it because you realize that, oh, wait a second, how, how cheap and how, how corrupt is the church that they're going to give him one? But then you realize that, no, for the past 20 years, he's been trying to find a way out. He's been trying to rectify all the wrongs he's done. And by trying to leave, you're right, as they, as he said, I drag it out and they pull me right back in. You know? Wait, wait, you forgot the double fist pump yeah. gesture and then the growl in the and face then the, and just and then the uh, uh, and then the diabetic struggle with it. Fredo! 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 Ah! ah Rachel! Rachel! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, um, he goes into a nerd rage, diabetic seizure. Yeah, um, damn. Um, so we see him fragile for the first time. We see him vulnerable. Yeah, for the we first see him time. Human. See him very human. Very human. And you know, my most of my criticisms of the Godfather Part Three are are very very minor things that I would have liked to see, but not, not didn't necessarily were not a reflection of the film itself. And I can understand why some people don't like it because it's so. Tonally speaking, it's so far removed yeah. from the previous films, but it's because it's it's the third act, right? It's the Return of the Jedi of crime films. It's also set in like modern times, more modern times than Godfather's Part One and Two. Right, it looks much more closer to Goodfellas than it does. Oh, yes. even though the film it's takes to place be in, in the seventies, it's supposed to be nineteen seventy nine. So yes, it's t- approximately twenty years after the events of Godfather Part but 2. But there's, there's not that romantic feel that Godfather's Part 1 and 2 had. Not just in terms of the not setting. All. but It's dark. It, it is a dark and gritty movie. And that's, uh, a, like, that's a great way of saying that. That's a, that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Um, I, I, after re-watching The Godfather Part 3 on uh, most recently Friday uh, before our recording, I hadn't seen The Godfather Part 3 in like over six years. And so I was like, I need a fresh pair of eyes on this again. My my film repertoire has definitely grown in six years. And I want to give this movie another chance. And I got to agree with you. There's not a lot of fault with the movie. But it feels so disconnected, so dark. And so um, I, I want to say the word is disenfranchised to a degree that it, it, it maintains the Godfather name, the Godfather characters, the Godfather writer and directors. But it doesn't feel like the story belongs in the arc. It, it, it's, it jumps too far ahead, in my opinion. I think it does jump a little far ahead. I would say it's disenfranchised because to me that implies that it's left with nothing, and it's been it's been totally taken advantage of. I think it's definitely um, contrived. I would think is a better word for it. Contrived. All right, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Because I mean, it was a it was a film that Paramount wanted to get made. It wasn't necessary. You know, as you said, Puzo didn't need to tell that story. He he. Developed the story with Coppola uh, to get it done. Also, this was a movie that was riddled by production issues. Um, Robert Duvall's character, Tom Hagen, was supposed to be in the film, but they Paramount didn't want to pay Robert Duvall the money that he asked for, so they wrote him out and they wrote in George Hamilton's character, B.J. Harrison, to be a, a similar character. Um, Winona Ryder was going to originally play the grown-up Mary Corleone, but then she dropped out to be an Edward Scissorhands, so Coppola chose his daughter at those last-minute... Minute, um, casting choice um and you know a lot of people say that sophia did not do a good job in that movie and i think her her performance was definitely at the moments where it needed a lot of emotion were um were definitely strained but i also i very much believed her attraction to vincenzo i very much believed yeah. that relationship um and I believe that she had an innocence to her. I like, and those. I think that was what was most important about that character. Well, that's the, like that's that you know using that word innocence. I think 
helps best describe um, her approach to playing the character. I wouldn't say it's a bad performance at all, but she's very innocent and very unassuming and very naive as a character. Yeah. And so because of that, she does act childish. She does act very subdued and uh, very, very quiet because this is not in her realm, although she wants to be part of this like this legitimate business that Michael has worked his entire life to be. In fact, he says it in the part three that everything I've done was for my family. Everything I've done has been for my family. That's good. That's, that's pretty good, dude. That, that's, that, that's a great Pacino. Thank you. Um, Rachel. D- Dave, you were going <laughs> to say something. I was just going to say, so, so- I, I, looked up, I looked on pre-production here, and it looks like there was a first draft of the script that had been written by Dean Reisner in 1979. It was based on a story by Mario Puzo. And the script centered around Michael Corleone's son, Anthony, a naval officer working for the CIA, and the Corleone's family's involvement with the plot to assassinate a Central American dictator. And almost none of the elements of this early script carried over to the final film. Thank uh, but God. One scene from the film in which two men break into Vincent's house. Uh, exist in Reisner's draft, and it was nearly unchanged. So that was still oh. originally part of his script. I'm so glad uh, you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up because there was another version too for two reasons. One was there was another version where apparently Anthony had taken over the business, um, and that that couldn't be further from this movie because he says, "I'll be part of the family, but I do I want nothing in your business. I want nothing to do with you. Your business, yeah, yeah. Um, or business. Yes, you're right. Exactly. But the other thing is that I felt Bridget Fonda's role in that film was totally pointless. I mean, she sleeps with Vincenzo, and that's the only thing that happens. She gets, she um, sees him off to thugs who. Yeah, dude. And that's brutal. it. That's, that's the last you see ever. I'm just like, why was she in that movie again? Did well, technically, she sees him off one dude. He sends her off into the bedroom, and then he offs another dude as soon as he says where what's his name? Uh, Joe Montana's character is Joe Zazo sent him. Yeah. No, shoots him right through the hand, and then it goes right into the guy's uh, right. head. Right. Ugh, brutal. Andy Garcia, yeah. what have you done? Yeah. Um, but I just felt like, like I mean, this is, again, an, an, a small nitpick. I mean, yeah, she does move the plot forward into a small degree, but I felt like you, the way they introduced her character when she was trying to get an intro with, with Michael Corleone and everything felt much more like it was going to be much bigger than it really was. And I'm almost wondering yeah, if like there were more scenes. Right, and I'm almost wondering were there more scenes of her character that were just cut out of the, of the story, or what? But it, just, it felt very, um, very weird. Just yeah. felt weird to me. But the other thing I found really fascinating was they brought the Catholic Church into the movie. I mean, obviously, of course, Brian, you have me, to bring up the Catholic Church element well, because we <laughs> Catholics worldwide now, speaking as a Catholic, love to talk about how the church is no longer corrupt, or has, or is not as corrupt as it was in the Middle Ages, mm. and this movie brings to light uh, a very different version of the Vatican, a version yeah. of the Vatican that to preserve the church, they will they will do dealings with people who you find out are extortionists, who are embezzlers, who are former mafia bosses, um, and they will kill whoever gets in their way, including the Pope, uh, as the, as you find out later on by the third act of this movie. Um, Spoiler alert! They, they, this movie purports that the sudden death of John Paul I was related to uh, a mafia hit by one of the internal archbishops in the Vatican. Poison. It po- poison in his tea. And I was like, oh shit, they went there. But, um... Degrassi, you know, it's fun- it goes there. I mean, I mean exactly. Ex- thank you, sir. This shit just got thank biblical. You. You're watching the N. <laughs> or whatever they're watching on Canada. Um, <laughs> but, um... 
But the thing I also thought was really interesting to make a more recent parallel is that Pope Francis recently talked about the inner workings of the Vatican, and he he has admitted that there is corruption in the Vatican currently, you know, and that he is trying to fight that, and he is trying to clean it up, much like they depict how John Paul I was trying to clean it up. Yep. Uh, Thankfully, Francis has lived longer than a month into his papacy, I think. uh, (laughs) So, um, you know, I, I, I just think it's the parallel to today was was really kind of remarkable considering it's a 20 year old film at this point strangely off-putting like not alarming but strange very much so yeah yeah Yeah. and i gotta say i remember seeing my brother sean i know who wanted to be here tonight couldn't do it sean's your brother yeah (laughs) shut up i was gonna walk that sean my brother who edits this podcast Every now and then, um, actually every episode, but um, <laughs> he couldn't be here tonight because he was working on uh, Unearths and History that's going online tomorrow. But he, I know, would like me to bring up that when he had knee surgery, because he tore his ACL Ooh. in, uh, I want to say, Sorry, Sean. sophomore year of high school. Oof. So he had had knee surgery, and he was laid up at home, and my mom literally turned on the whole that was their day they watched the whole godfather saga so i came home from school and they were halfway through part two and i was like i am so lost here i'm just gonna go in the other room but i heard parts of it and i remember seeing the very very end of the third movie when when mary gets uh killed at the opera again spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie sorry go see it so i walked into that movie knowing it was gonna happen i saw the foreshadowing when he when michael takes k through through uh, Corleone and they show the puppet theater and they talk about the cousins and yeah. what happens to the cousin. I was like, oh, that's foreshadowing. But when they get to the opera, it's just, it was, I was so tense. I was like at a table at the, at the espresso bar and by my work and I was just bunched up like, oh God, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? The music, they use the music of the opera so beautifully to build, that's the only yeah. score of that, of that whole sequence yeah. to build the tension. Um, and I'm just like, it, it's like, like nerve-wracking. The only reaction I remember seeing, I, it, it literally, the movie just got done just as my lunch break was ending. And I walked in for my lunch break, and I think everyone was like, what the hell just happened to you? But to me, my reaction was just like, fuck. <laughs> just damn. like, damn. Holy right? crap. And, and I, I gotta say, for the first time since The Godfather Part 1, I felt really sorry for Michael because he had done his absolute, everything in his power... No, including leaving the family and making Vincenzo the dawn of, of the Corleone crime family. Mancini. Vincenzo Mancini. Yeah, he says, now you call yourself Corleone, right? He makes himself... He says, after this day, you call yourself Corleone. And then he just leaves. Right. And so he leaves, but it's too late at that point. The machinations have already been put into place, and he just... Lo- no, he loses the one thing he fought every single movie to protect, which was his family. He fought his whole life for. Right. And, you know... It's just so heartbreaking when you see Michael lose it, and you see Kay lose it, and you see Vincent. Anthony lose it, and Vincent, in his own quiet way, lose it. Um, it it's just heartbreaking. It is yeah. really heartbreaking. That everything he strived for, almost everything, like, it, yeah, one part of his family, direct family, just, like, everything that he works for dies right in front of him. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, God. people will... I don't know why people have a problem with this movie, because the ending of that movie was borderline flawless. The only My only gripe with it was that it cuts to years later when he's super old, sitting in his villa in Italy. What else was he going to do for all, those, all that I time? Wanted, I wanted to see something happen, because there was this very unresolved feeling between him and Kay. Like, she didn't know what to do with him anymore. 
she loves him, but she's not sure if she can be with him anymore. You see this feeling that, okay, she's kind of still drawn, drawn away from the fact that he's still involved with the mob. He gives that up. There is kind of this family, family element when they're watching the opera. Almost a sense of reconciliation by catharsis watching the play type right. of thing. Right, but I, what I wanted to know what happened is I want to know what Mary's death did to their relationship. Did it finally cauterize it where she says, I'm done? Or did it bring them together? That was the one question I was left wondering but the rest of the film. I, I would probably argue to say that it, it, it didn't bring them together. I think that she may have come to some sort of resolution with Michael, to say, you know, like, maybe you have changed, and I'm glad that you have, but there was so much damage done to that relationship. Yeah. I mean, she had an abortion because she was she didn't want him to become evil like her. Like, I mean, she straight up killed a kid. And I'm not trying to, like, say that, you know, I'm not trying to get into a conversation about abortion and, and you know, pro-life or pro-not, but she straight up, like, used that as fodder to say, look how much I don't want to be with you. She used that to spite him, yeah. Which is, I don't want to have your child because I am afraid that he's going to become like you and I can't stand the sight of you. Well, I mean, the it, sure, you no, know, people can have abortions for different reasons. Right, we're, that's not this podcast. But I would say the fact that she uses it as a weapon against her husband to get at him, yeah. to, to spite him, that's what's like, Kay is just as evil in a way as Michael is. It shows what what she has turned into because she was involved with the family. Because right. of him. Right. Yeah. Because if it the wasn't movie, for... I mean, you could argue to say that she could have just chosen a different path, but really, if it had not been for him, she would never have gotten that far. Our good friend, Nap, um, who listens to our podcast and is a dear friend of Hi, mine... Nap. For, Hi, Nap. For like 15 years. Or maybe even longer. Dude, how long has it been? I feel like it's been... It's been like 13, 13 15 years. Anyway... Brian, I'm he's not going to answer you because it's a yeah. recording. He, <laughs> he would he would appreciate and argue this whole three series of films, this whole three movies, is a whole exercise into Niccolo Machiavelli, right? Because Niccolo Machiavelli's philosophy was the ends justify the means, right? And to every single action that Beto does, to what Michael does, to what Kay does, to every one of these mob characters, to every character in this movie, it was all about the ends justify the means. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think they see, say that at least once in every movie, too. In in so many words, yes. They, yeah. they, they have their own way of yeah. saying it, but yes. Um, talking about like the final scene of The Godfather Part 3, um, for me, it's, it's the perfect ending because look at what Michael has done. He tried to accomplish uh, becoming a successful, uh, successful businessman. He works his whole life to, in the shadow of his father, Vito Corleone, who came to America with almost nothing in his pockets to become something. He became the American American dream through illegitimate means. He sees what he wanted his he sees what his father turned into, but he wanted to legitimize it using his influence. Yeah. And then you get to the point where he has that power. He does everything to legitimize through his faith and through his companies to become a legitimate businessman. And once he has all of that, it, they take his family away. Yeah, I know. It's... And then, and then, it, like they fast forward, you know, several years into the future. What does he have? He has nothing. Yeah, and he just dies. Well, strangely, puppies are around him. By the way, yeah. I thought that was kind of weird. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but he just literally, just like his father uh, in the first Godfather, although he was with um, not Michael, um, it was with uh, one of the Godchildren. Um, he Vito Corleone, has, like what suffers a heart attack and just dies. 
while he's babysitting one of the nephews or one of the right. grandsons. It, 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 it was Anthony. It was Anthony, yeah. Yeah. And so here's Michael, who has nothing, and he's just an old man, slumps over and dies. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. it was such visual poetry, such visual yeah. symbolism that, like, I commend Coppola a great yeah. deal for that. And ending. I will say, the one scream that Michael gives on the steps of the opera house, one of the few streams, screams that uh, Pacino gives in his career that is totally justified and totally believable and totally heart-wrenching. Yeah. At this, this anger at everything and sadness at everything. And I find it interesting now that the more I'm playing it back in my head, that moment of when he rethinks his life, he, he goes to three dancing montages, right? He goes to, with his first wife in His, his in Italian wife. His Italian wife in Corleone. Yep. With Kay. With Kay in the beginning of the second movie, and then with his daughter. Daughter. Later on. The three women he loved most, and he lost all of them. All three of them. Yeah. Like, that was like, fuck, man. You already dug the knife in. Did you have to twist it, too? Well, <laughs> you, know? you think about it, you know, I was just looking at the Wikipedia page, and yeah, they were like, this is the epilogue to Michael's story because he felt, Coppola had felt that they had not, that Michael had never paid for his sins. And this was his chance to do so. And and it really it really kind of lives up to that that idea of, you know, crime doesn't pay. You know, I mean, he, he, he was at the top of his game, but he ultimately lost everything. And it is such, I think as you have to watch it as a trilogy, you can't watch them as, I mean, of course, you can watch them as individual movies and enjoy them because they do have, um, you know, elements that are you know individual to their own uh, films. But they are they are meant they should be seen as three three movies that tell the a same three act story. Play. A it three is definitely act play. a three act play. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it gives you it shows this 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 awful and just tragic story of of Michael Corleone and how. You just see his life just go from such potential as a fucking war hero yeah. of World War Two, you know, America's best, to America's nothing. scum, almost. America's scum and, 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 and nothing. I mean, he's you know, he's left with nothing. And it's just it is such just a tragic story to just watch this decline, you know, and, and, and how just how bad you feel for this guy. And you know he does some he does some pretty shitty things, and even then you're still kind of like, well, you know we still want to root for you because we want to see some good, um, you know we want to see something good happen, and you don't. Yeah, yeah, you know? uh, and that's the, and, that, and that I that I commend because if it come out like with a happy ending, you there's know, no think, way. There's no way. There's no fucking way this movie would have a happy ending. It would have said it would have been such a, a lie. Yeah, such a bull faced lie. Yeah, and. You know, they talk about catharsis when you see this tragic movie. Like that, seeing this movie, you you feel purged of whatever whatever bad stuff's going on in your life. And this movie doesn't get much more cathartic than watching this. Uh, you know, this complete. You're like you're saying a man who's just completely who tried everything he could to do everything right, um, and tried everything he did to fix everything that he did wrong. And just failed, um, and it's it's sad that the movie didn't get the third movie didn't get more recognition. But I will say it, that I think after twenty years, and me seeing the films, not having seen the first and second, and then going into the third with certain expectations. Yes, sir. I was just going to say, do you guys know what movie it lost to at the at the Oscars? Godfather Part Three. Yeah. Um, I don't. Which one did it lose to? 
Dances with Wolves. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, and, Kevin Costner and, and but it's also, White Man Saving Underprivileged That could have been Oscar history. Minorities. That could have been the first it trilogy where every yeah. single film yeah. What's won. kind of funny is that Goodfellas was also nominated that same year. Uh, whoa, that's whoa, whoa! I yeah. forget about that all the time. Dances with Wolf beats out the God or the Goodfellas. Hell no! Hell and no! No, if it wasn't for the Godfather, they wouldn't have been a Goodfellas, right? And there wouldn't have been a Sopranos either on television. Um, oh because, yeah, yeah. Because you saw this uniquely family-oriented way of looking at um, at this. You know, you seemingly people who you think are just animals and inhuman. Um, oh yeah. You now you see this. They're like everybody else. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and to kind of re, you know, reiterate, you know, we wouldn't have some of the TV shows, like shows like I, I'm a huge fan of Breaking Bad. Oh, we wouldn't oh have, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, me here, we would me not, too, me too. We would not have the concept of good guy going bad had it not been for The Godfather. Walter White could not exist if it was not for Michael Corleone. You know sure. what, I, I, I have to completely agree. Um, and to a smaller not a direct uh, influence, but I totally see it as well. Um, Don Draper from the Mad Men is kind of a mirror image in uh, several minute ways uh, to Michael Corleone as well. In terms of he is he is a legitimate man. He turns bad. Uh, he tries to do some good and goes back to being bad and things like that. And yeah. except, isn't Don Draper the illusion though? Isn't you find out, don't you find out later on? Because I don't watch Mad Men, unfortunately. But don't you find out that Don Draper really isn't Don Draper? That he took the name from one of his war buddies who got dum dum dum. Now that's a big spoiler. Sorry, folks. We did say that this was going to be spoiler filled. We just didn't specify <laughs> which spoilers. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, Darth Vader is Luke's father, and what? Princess Leia is Luke's sister, and, and yeah, they they straight up um, kissed. And I just want to make sure, in case there was any question here, Norman was the was the killer. No! <laughs> but, 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 but you, you said you would never oh. tell. All right, so fine, I'm spoiling way, you. Kaiser Soze is verbal kint. Dum, dum, dum. Oh, and by the way, um, oh, no, I had one. God damn it. Come on. All right, all right. I, I can spot you. I can spot you. Are you ready? Yeah. The therapist is actually dead. The Sixth Sense. Bum, bum, bum. And oh, folks, I folks, and Einhorn is a man. <laughs> and uh, Dumbledore dies. And Rosebud <laughs> is a sled. <laughs> well, if we, uh, if we haven't ruined your life and your childhood at this moment, uh, then, well, congratulations. You are a real man. You can send man. your hate mail to uh, David McGuire <laughs> <laughs> at uh, David McGuire at Twitter. Uh, yeah. no, I'm kidding. Anyway, on Twitter. <laughs> And so, my Twitter's going to about to blow up. Fuck you, McGuire! <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, hello! Think, McGuire! Think! Um, <laughs> so, damn, dudes. I, I, I gotta tell you, man. This is... This whole conversation, breaking down all three of these Godfather films, has probably been as epic as watching them. I yeah. I literally feel like I need to take a shower after this conversation. Probably because it's like 80 degrees in, in our recording studio right now. Oh, undoubtedly. But I think this conversation's been so involved and so... Um, I need a drink. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You and me both. But um, what a great way to to end this episode. Uh, so uh, with that, everyone, just look at some... All right, Dave, Brian, look at some puppies on the floor, get old real fast, and then just start slumping over in your chair, hit the ground, 
and just lay motionless, and we'll call it a day. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't have Fump. puppies, so I have yeah. cats. <laughs> That'll have to do. <laughs> okay. We'll um, have to improvise. Uh, I, I know that uh, Eric would want us to end this uh, this podcast on a very disappointing and upsetting note, considering how everyone treats The Godfather Part 3 as disappointing and upsetting. <laughs> well, yeah. I will say this. You guys, having discussed it with you guys, because um, I've only seen The Godfather Part 3 once, and it was a long time ago. Um, but having this discussion about it has really uh, reinvigorated me wanting to see it again and, and, and really look at it from a different set of eyes. And you, you know, now totally that we should. And now that now that we have talked about it as this one long story arc, um, it's, it'll definitely make it a little bit better of a second viewing. So uh, thank you. And uh, to all our dear listeners, please, if you're someone that is a diehard fan of the parts one and two and considered three to be uh, a bastard child of what is to be the greatest, you know, American saga of all time, please... Go back and watch it. You, you know, I was just there with you. I, I owned the Godfather trilogy because it was cheap uh, when I got it, and I never watched the third movie except for that one time. And I got to tell you, having rewatched it again, keeping the overall picture, the overall story arc in mind, um, and knowing that one and two are almost perfect films, the third one is, is still a good movie. It still has a good story to tell. Sure, it yeah. takes a long time to tell it, and it's not nearly as good as its precursors, but... It still is a good story. It wraps things up in a very poetic, justifiable, and unfortunately tragic ending. It's like the underachieving third son. It's like, hey, you know, your two older brothers did get 4.0s and they got into Ivy League schools. <laughs> but you know what? Be average ain't bad. 2.5 GPA ain't bad. <laughs> Going to DeVry and University Fresno is not State bad. State will be happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there goes all of our Fresno listers. <laughs> I mean, it could have been Fuck San Jose State. But... Yeah, well, I, I decided to go with DeVry because it's DeVry, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't know why all of a sudden everyone... My family was from New Jersey all of a sudden. I don't know where, where that came from, but... <laughs> Um, you're because fuck uh, New York, that's any, why. Any New Jerseyans out there, I apologize if I butchered uh, your, your dialect. There. And to all the New Yorkers out there, I'm totally messing with you as well. We love you, New York. So, you know, well, so how do we want to do this, Dave? We'll just straight up say it. I, uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun uh, doing these. Po- I mean, I've been doing it since the beginning, um, back when we were. <laughs> our very first episode actually took place here in this uh, apartment um, with Robert, as we discussed the Dark Knight Rises over a year ago, um, and um, you know, it's been a fun ride. And I have come to a you know, uh, 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 an awakening, I guess, where I have found where my uh, my calling is. And I feel as though my calling is with writing. You know, uh, as most of you listeners know, I have was able to, I, I stepped away from the podcast several times to, to write some stuff. And one of them being a pilot for a TV show, one of the, or not a pilot, but a, a spec script. Um, one of them being my own script, and I actually got to film it. Um, and just the joy that it brought me was just uh, immense. Um, and so what I'm saying here is that this is my last episode as a regular host. I, uh, I will still be a part of the show, um, you know, here and there when we do have, you know, especially our, um, you know, like our group episodes, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, whatever you want to do. 
America's um, birthday. Uh, America's birthday. Um, I'll still be there, and I'm still going to be working with Neuronomy, but I'm going to be uh, working in the back, uh, the behind the scenes, in helping develop the next phase of our, um, our of company. what we want to do, of our company, which is going to be video. Um, and so we have a couple of ideas that are going to be part of our video media, and uh, we're just in the beginning stages of getting those off the ground, and I'm going to help spearhead that. So... Um, so I will no longer be a regular voice on the podcast. However, uh, have no fear. You are obviously within great hands. And um, this is also good news, too, because I am to be, I wouldn't say replaced, but um, this does give Sean, our loyal editor and amazing editor, the opportunity to be more of a, a, of a voice on the episode rather than just every so often. Yeah. So. Going forward, Sean Moriarty is going to be a more permanent voice on Nerds on Film. And I can't, you know, this, this, I gotta be honest, I'm gonna get sentimental for a moment, so forgive me. Because these guys know when I get sentimental, it goes, oh, here we go. But, um, <laughs> but you know, no, I love my brother. And I'm glad that he gets to take part in this and be more com- be more um, involved because we've always had great film conversations and the fact that we get to do that with everyone else is great. Um, I gotta say that, Dave, this is a bittersweet moment because when I originally came up with this idea for the podcast, the first person I thought of was you. Because we always, when we went and saw movies, we have these amazing discussions about it afterwards. I even remember one time saying we should do a YouTube series about us talking about movies afterwards. And I thought, well, I don't know about YouTube, but then figuring out the actual outlet for it was, was this podcast. And... You know, you're right. You gotta go out and do what you love, and you gotta go out and do what you're what you're great at. And I'm looking forward to seeing the next phase of Neuronomy with you. Um, but it does make me sad that this was our baby, in a way, and it's become a whole family at this point. But it just it makes me a little little sentimental to see you not being here every every episode. You gotta be you, Dave, and I respect you for that. And remind Thank you. and remember. This is just for business. It's not personal. <laughs> now get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, I um, you know, we it like Brian said it, it it's turned into a family. You know, originally it was just two guys who wanted to kind of just talk about movies and it's developed into this this larger entity and um, a sweeping epic. A sweeping epic. I mean, you know, we, we have two really great podcasts. Uh, with amazing hosts whose chemistry just is unlike any other. I mean, it, it, you know, when people say, oh, it's like a bunch of friends sitting around talking about stuff, that's literally what every recording is like um, with, uh, with, with all of us, especially on Nerds on Film, and especially with Eric and, and Brian on Nerds on History. It's, just, it's, just a, it's never, ever felt like a dry podcast it's always just felt like we're just going to talk but there just so happens to be microphones in front of our face so um i, I mean i am going to miss being a regular entity but like i said i will not be uh I, I i'm not gone for good um and like i said i will be back for episodes that intrigue me and when they need me and but i will i'll be working in the background of neuronomy to help make it uh even better than what it is right now you will be our uh I don't know. You'll just 
you'll be a wanderer who comes in when when necessary. Um, a man with no name. Yeah, a man with no Dave. name. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is where Sean should probably like oh, fade man, out. Like the, the I, I got to tell you, should be like uh, both of your speeches. Um, <laughs> because of the conversation we had tonight, I definitely had the Godfather theme playing in my background. I think, Sean, you should cut that in. Another one that's like Dave. I want to make you be better. I want a better life for you. Um, <laughs> no, I do want the best for you, sir. So yes. I'm, and I gotta say, I'm ex- like I said before, I'm super excited that that you and I are are working on this video project. That you're gonna be the one who really takes the lead on it, but I'm just helping, um, and that. We, we're all contributing. We're all getting, getting a chance to voice our ideas and do it, to take Neuronomy into a new form. And I'm really glad that we, we should be, our, to our listeners, you should be hearing something about it in uh, in the fall. You know, you should be seeing one of our first videos come late summer, early fall. Yeah. And, um, you know, I gotta say, Dave is not going away at all. Like you said, he'll be back on key episodes. You can also still follow him on his Twitter account at David oh, yeah. McGuire. Um, you can still, uh, of course, since you can follow me at Brian Moriarty. And Kevo is still Twitterless. <laughs> that sounds dirty. Um, yes, you can uh, contact me via email, Kevin at nerdonomy.com. Um, and of course, our company Twitter at nerdonomy. What? Our company Twitter? Our, our nerdonomy family? Yeah, our company. Account? Yeah, okay. Our, our company Twitter at nerdonomy, um, where we post all of our episodes and other fun little updates and links throughout the week. Of course, follow us on Facebook. Um, and go to our website, nerdami.com, where you can find all the cool stuff that's there and, and also, to contact us. And please, if you can find it in your hearts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, give us a, a, a whatever you can give donation, uh, jewelry. Um, and if it weren't for fans like you, we wouldn't have this. organs. Um, <laughs> it should we be would known. not have this lovely air known. conditioner in <laughs> our uh, nerd cave that's where right. we can finally Swiss breathe. Swiss bank bonds. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just going to say exactly. It should be known that there is now an air conditioner in your cave because of because of the fans. So yeah, and uh, and we the thank you degrees weather is because we don't have a ceiling at the moment. It's because it's uh, it's leaking all of our cool. But the cool the room was actually very cool before we started recording. Yes, um, and we need the money because you know why? Because we need money to add production value to our videos that we're going to be producing. Yeah. So you know your money is going to go to now. Are paying off our computer to making sure our nerd cave has a ceiling to seeing our videos have the best production value possible with costumes, better audio equipment, better lighting equipment, all the above. Paying off our drug habits. Drug habits, of course. You know, and of course, hot pockets, right? We all need hot pockets. <laughs> hot pockets. I need diarrhea like anyone else. You know, it's it's a rite of passage, I would say. It is. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> that's a great Dude, way to say goodbye. <laughs> One poop joke. Yeah, and Dave, you know, you will have a great send off because we're going to record the um, the history podcast tomorrow, right? We're going to talk about DC. That is right. Right. So you'll get a send off from both podcasts, um, and rightfully so because you've been a treasure to our company. We always love the jokes you bring to our to our discussions, and you can please, by all means, tweet us responses to what's going on so um folks we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of the godfather trilogy it it means a lot to us and we'll see you next week same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com have a good evening to all you lovely people out there i hope your first child is a masculine child (laughs) and roll credits
And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. I hope he comes out of that bathroom with more than just his dick in his hand.